Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. First play, play fake, green, over the middle, has a receiver, Traylon Ray, first play, Mountaineers! 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important, so is your budget. And trying maybe to put this game away right now. Second down and goal, 13th play of the drive. Cook to the air, into the end zone, caught. And there's Luther Burton. Touchdown, Missouri. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. They stack the line of scrimmage. Fafita rolls, fires on the run. What a throw and catch. Cowering down the sideline. He is in. Touchdown, Arizona. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Dart fires wide open. Prescorn. Touchdown, Rebels. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. From the shotgun, that throws intercepted. Pierce down the sideline. Touchdown. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. All right, here we go. And it is a Thursday afternoon. This is 365 Sports. If you are on the chat room or watching us live, please, if you want, hit the like button. If you're in the chat room, our text line's always open at 254-339-1122. And if you don't mind, subscribe. If you haven't, spread the word. We appreciate your time. An array of different topics 
including yet another congressional hearing, uh, an interesting comment from a UCLA quarterback on NIL, some coaching news, uh, careers that have been extended into seven and nine years in college football, and then there's some portal news too and visits and all of that and more. And yet today the story uh, from yesterday evening following UCF coming back from 16 points down to beat Texas was Rodney Terry uh, trying to tell the coaches or players at UCF, you should not act like you've been here before. Don't be classic. Don't do that blink because a handful of them were using the horns down hand signal or hand sign after a huge win for UCF and Rodney <laughs> Terry, I think, right now trying to deflect maybe where UT is in basketball. Well, it's totally what he's trying to do, or he's, he's feeling the heat and he's getting mad about things like that. Now, here's the problem with acts like you've been there before. I understand that sentiment, and it's a very old-school sentiment. But if you're UCF and you've literally never been there before, then why do you begrudge them their emotions? And it's not the worst thing in the world. You should just embrace it, use it as, you know, Use it as fuel for the next time or the next game and move on. But the it's it's weird. I don't think this this is indicative of the Texas fan base as a whole. I think that it's it was probably three to one. Most of them don't really care. But the ones who care care a lot. And Rodney Terry is trying to deflect a little bit of they're in a bad way right now, and he's got to try and keep his job. And it doesn't help that Chris Beard's off at Ole Miss and doing well. So all those things are compounding on him. So when he sees the horns down, he overreacts to it. Yeah, that was incredibly soft, and if I was a Texas fan, I would be embarrassed not by what UCF did, not by UCF beating us, although I'd be, I'd be a little embarrassed by that too because that's not what you're expecting at this point, but I'd be most embarrassed by the fact that Rodney Terry tried to go be everybody's dad after that game and act like he was the boss of UCF basketball. He said we an awful lot in a post-game press conference about guys who are not his players. We don't do that. We don't act like that. Well, why don't you worry about yourself and let Johnny Dawkins, who knows a thing or two about hoops, worry about his basketball team, you know, the one that just rolled into town and beat you guys. Um, I thought that that was so soft. And a lot of the Texas fans, not all of them, but a lot of them that I've seen agree and think that it was a bad look. I don't know how you spin that as anything other than a bad look because his argument was not very convincing. And it wasn't like, from based on what we saw, the guys were doing anything other than the hand sign. I understand how sensitive Texas people can be to that. Some. Uh, Some Texas fans, but... There are fans that will tell you, well, no, nobody cares about the horns down. And then something like this happens, and it's like, oh, really? Well, clearly some people do care about the horns down. Clearly there's a rule in the Big 12 about the horns down for a reason. It's not because Texas fans or people at Texas don't care at all whatsoever. So there is a a, a segment of Texas folks that do. And quite frankly, just get over that. I mean, it just makes you look so soft. It's not that big of a deal. And – I get it's disrespectful, whatever, but there's a lot worse hand signs that could be used if people really wanted to be disrespectful. It's just people turning <laughs> with, your own sign against you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like it's all it is. It's like you turning the o- OU logo upside down. Like, who cares? Right. I mean, who cares, honestly? Yep. So I just think that Texas itself has made the horns down thing way bigger and way more of an issue than it ever would have been otherwise. Like, if they just never reacted to it, then who would even really care about it? Who would... 
who would balk? Like, who would even have a reaction to it? You would just be like, yeah, of course, that's what people do when you beat Texas is you do the horns down. But they've made it like a thing now where it's a it's a running joke when they take such issue with it. And um, I, I think that's unfortunate for the fans who really don't care, which is probably the majority. Um, but, yeah, Rodney Terry, that was just a – a bad look all the way around, in my opinion. UCF was pumped up and excited. And congrats to the Knights, because that's getting overshadowed. The fact that they've now what, beat well, Kansas part and of the, Texas. Maybe that's part of the plan. Kansas and Texas in the last week, that is absolutely huge for that basketball program. Welcome to the Big 12. I mean, that's that's massive. That needs to be said as much as anything else. But, yeah, I, I, I like Rodney Terry. Um, but I, I just thought that was such a bad look by him last night, and I'm glad to see that uh, I'm not alone in that, and I think that's where most people's heads are. Not that he's a bad guy by any means, right. but that did scream of distract everybody from the loss that we just suffered, and let's talk about how we're classier than you are, which is a total loser move, by the way. What does everybody do when they lose? The class card, right? That's right. always the card that people try and pull is, oh, well, we're classier than you, and that's exactly what he did. It was a fan play, and that was just a – a uh, sad reaction, I thought, by Texas basketball coach. The act like you've been there before, I get that. But at the same time, again, UCF has never <laughs> been there before, although they had just beaten Kansas a week ago. And so, hey, they're now a team that you better be careful of when you play either home or away. Here are a couple of tweets. Jeff Goodman from the field of 68 covers the hell out of college basketball. UT was up at by 12 at halftime. Lost at home, dominated in the second half. The rebounding edge was crazy uh, dominant. Uh, has one win against the top 75 team. They do play at home Saturday morning, 11 o'clock tip, against Baylor down at Moody Center, and that is on Saturday morning. And Baylor, they themselves, a little bit stung after the ending against Kansas State. Here's one of the quotes from Rodney Terry. Um, about six or seven guys putting the horns down. We don't do that because when you do that, those kinds of things, it looks very classless. All right, so here's my point. Yet he's Rodney Terry. Maybe he didn't realize it. Don't do that shit is what he said. Don't do that as he's walking down and shaking some of the hands. That's classless. That's not your team. Let Johnny Dawkins take care of that if he wants to or not. There was also part of a quote that he said, don't act like you were, you were hoping to win. That, to me, was kind of a jab. I don't, I don't know. That what, you I walked know. into Austin hoping to win. I don't, I don't know what that means. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, like, I, like, everybody walks into a place hoping to win. Walk in here like the losers that you are and bow down to us and expect to lose <laughs> against the greater program that is Texas <laughs> <laughs> might as well have been what he said. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the clarification there. Yeah. But, like, also, I mean... The thing is, like, and I get he's in his feelings. Very much. But you've yeah. got to take a step back and realize, all right, you see, and I, look, I'm not a student of, of UCF basketball, so I, I couldn't tell you their history. But I can tell you that they've probably not had many weeks like this in their history where they beat Kansas, Kansas, who invented basketball. the damn game, yep. and then Texas on the road. Like, that's a huge week for a team that's in a new conference. Like, this is a huge deal. Let them enjoy it, and don't worry about them. Worry about you and the fact that you blew a 16-point lead at your house. Yeah, he um, it, not just for their basketball. I mean, the school. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is one of the biggest sports weeks in that school's history, period, no matter the sport, uh, in my opinion, at least. And some UCF historian can correct me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, beating Kansas and Texas in basketball in a 
week span. I, I don't know how many times they've had bigger Everybody weeks. Everybody else in the Big Twelve would like to be able to oh say my, that today. Yeah, and yeah. so and I like that the UCF uh, Twitter account responded with expected to win, and we did, and then posted the highlights attached to that. So they had that <laughs> comment, which was uh, very fitting and a, a very nice jab back. But yeah, he just. He handled that all wrong. I, I like Rodney Terry. I don't know if he's in it for the long haul with Texas. I know there's already plenty of people that are, you know, wanting. I saw bring Chris Beard back last night on some tweets, you know, and, and there's some people that are just not sold on him at this point. I don't know what his future holds, but it's not going to be a very long future if he's going to be that sensitive when they lose at home. Um, I, I get it to some extent if UCF guys were crossing the line and, you know, acting an ass, then that'd be one thing. But they're throwing the horns down. I get why you'd be sensitive to that, especially given the current state of just the wins and the losses and how the program's sort of going. But I think he handled it the entirely uh, wrong way. Go over to Johnny Dawkins. Let him know. Let him handle his guys. But when he got into the post game, that's that's really where, like, it was one thing because it was just so awkward. Like, here they are in the handshake line, and here he is, and he's, like, making it a scene now because he's stopping the players and yelling at them. Cussing. Yeah. And they're and they're confused as all hell. They're like, "What's going on?" Yeah, you saw the looks on the player. They're like, "What?" Couple assistant coaches. Yeah, they're getting reprimanded yeah. all of a sudden by the opposing coach. They have no idea what's going on. Then he's, they, you know, don't do that or whatever. But then when he gets into the post game press conference and he's like, "We don't do that," and we, you would think that it was his team that was doing it, but it wasn't. It was the opposing team, and that's what was so bizarre about it is we don't act like that, and we don't have those expectations, and we don't. It's like, who are you talking to? They're not your players. They're not your responsibility. Go have some respect for Johnny Dawkins and let him know your feelings, but don't sit there and air these guys out. Like, I, I just thought that was so uh, across – uh, that was uh, crossing the line, but you know what? Everybody moves on. Well, it's not yeah. the end of the world. It was just a bad look, and, and so we'll see how he all, handles all it. All it does is possibly stoke other fan bases to do it now even more or maybe get into it a little bit more. They're probably the only hand signal other than the middle finger that has been able to draw a flag – uh, which is something that the Big 12 allowed to happen, which still never made sense to me. I was told earlier today, I was talking to a, he's a huge Texas fan. He's a great guy. We got a little bit into this because I said, what? It, it's, it appears to me to be very soft in deflection. And I think anyone would admit that's true. But he said, we're the only fan base in America that has our hand signal or our hand sign used against us. Name another one. Paul? All of them. But yes, I'll say, look, I sat in the Orange Bowl, wide right three in 2000, and watched a six-year-old kid take the tomahawk chop, turn it into a middle finger with the rest of the crowd saying, F you Seminoles, Seminoles, F you, with the band. I was not offended. I was actually yeah. terrified. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this kid is going to be carved out of nails or wood later on. But I I thought, okay, that's it. And no, Texas is not the only fan base in America that has their hand gesture thrown back in their face. And even They're if the they only were, fan base in America that wanted to make a rule about it. I yeah. saw it happen multiple times against Miami this year, the upside down you. Yeah. Never heard them crying about it. Never heard of a TV story about it. Never heard the opposing coach mm-hmm. in the po- I never heard Cristobal in the post game after they lost going, I can't believe North Carolina or whoever, mm-hmm. you know, it was. But I saw that, it, you know, uh, more than once this past season and in the years uh, that have that have passed, I've seen it multiple times. Um, so yeah, there's there's one example for you right off the top of my head, not knowing you were going to ask that. So yeah, that's yeah. that's BS that they're the only ones. I've seen people do the upside down thumbs up for A and M, even though that's not like a super popular gesture, but I've seen it. 
Um, and so the OU logo turned upside down on graphics is very easy to go find. Um, mocking you know, the Florida chop. Yeah, mocking the Florida the Gators. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that's not true. Uh, that that's the only thing. But they're just the most sensitive to it. And so I, I think some some. Yeah. But um, I do think that this is great for UCF to see where some of the annoyance comes from. And Texas and Oklahoma fans. And look, I'm an Oklahoma fan. Um, will tell you that they should basically be able to, or some feel like and act like that you should not be able to criticize them because they floated the conference for all these years and this and that. But when people say, like, God, the Big 12 is going to be so much better when they leave, they're not talking about that there's going to be more wins or that there's going to be more championships or there's going to be more money or, whatever, or yeah. more talent or more NFL picks. Or, that's not what anybody's ever referring to. They're all referring to that dumb stuff like this will or should no longer be the case where there is this – issue because somebody threw the hand sign upside down and everybody got upset over it and there's a rule for it and like there's no other rules like that and so that's where people are 99 percent of the time coming from when they talk about god i can't wait for these these guys to be gone it's that kind of a thing that you saw last night is the reason why people say that and um you know what it'll It'll uh, be okay in the end. Everything's going to be fine. But, uh, yeah, that was a bad look. They're not going into a conference where manners is like a thing either. So, That's been the biggest response <laughs> I've, I've seen I've today. Yeah. They're, not, they're, they're not going into a place. Even if they go in and win, it yeah, doesn't matter. You know, yeah. They're not going into a place where you know, you're not going to walk into Baton Rouge and they're going to be like, Oh, eat skinny on don't you? Uh, you guys don't like the horns down. Come have some crawfish and yeah. calm down. Wipe those tears. Like that's not going to happen. It's going to be so so. Like you think it's pouring UCF, gasoline on a fire. Okay, you think if you get hurt by UCF basketball players or Baylor fans or uh, TCU fans throwing the horns down at you, go to Baton Rouge yeah. and complain and see how that works out for you. All right, uh, UCF's basketball history, by the way. Remember, they weren't always a Division I uh, basketball team. They have been to the tournament, uh, it looks like, about eight or nine times. The last appearance was 19. Before that, they had a run in 04 and 05, and before that, in the middle 90s a couple of times. This is very much new ground. And on the chat room, Justin just came in and said, this is so cool you're opening up with UCF, which it is because of the reaction of Rodney Terry. So there we are with that. Uh, I do, I, I want to make sure I'm right here, Craig and Paul, that there have been a couple of times when UT has won at Baylor, when I believe the football team was near the midfield logo at McLean Stadium and stomping on the logo. And yeah, Baylor went across the field, at least a handful of players, and there was a little bit of pushing and shoving. It's part of the college atmosphere. It happens and. They're not the only team that has done that. Baylor's done it too, but my goodness, as far as the hand signal, it does seem to be a little bit overly sensitive. Now, college football news. Caleb Downs, this guy's really good, as you know. Uh, Ohio State traveling to, to, to visit with him. Now, Pete Nakos is saying that he's obviously the number one player in the portal. Everyone seems to agree with that. Uh, Georgia and Ohio State appear to be the ones locked in on him. However, uh, in this day and age, the way things are, I'm, I'm sure there are other schools reaching out to him. It would not surprise me if Texas is not one of them or Florida State is not one of them or others are not one of them. He is really good, and yet he's in the portal in Ohio State, Georgia right now. But I have seen where there are possibilities of other visits from other schools to see him. Yeah, yeah he wants to get it done quick, though, so. 
Yeah, yeah he, I want to say too on the the UCF fan, like welcome and uh, hope you stick around and have been around for a while. And I I do want the focus to be on UCF's win That's, more than yeah, anything else. No, I agree. And, and the fact that they've now got those two big wins, and it's awesome that they're having such a nice start to the uh, Big Twelve schedule. And I think it's been great. And I mentioned this yesterday of. The fan bases, BYU's got a good team, Cincy's got a good team, Houston's got a good team, UCF's got a very exciting good team, and uh, it's been cool to see them all kind of get baptized in the Big 12 basketball scene and and all seem to be enjoying themselves and and how much just – uh, umph there is to it on a, on a night-to-night basis but yeah with Caleb Downs I mean I've seen I think it's just kind of now when there's a guy of that stature that you just throw out like the same five schools or, I agree yeah and so th- I see the Texas thing but then I see Texas Riders and they're like they're not they don't feel like there's anything there and so I know they keep getting mentioned but barring something that I've just completely missed out on I think this is a smaller race and that Ohio State and Georgia are probably the two you're looking at especially when the guy as I know Paul was getting ready to say uh, just put it out there yesterday that the report was that he was wanting to make a decision within 48 hours. So that limits you being able to do too much. 25 hours into yeah, that. Yeah, that limits you being able to do too much, and so you think you kind of already have a shorter list, and, and that would be a pretty solid short list there. But, yeah, it does seem like those are the favorites and that we're going to hear something soon. But you never, uh, especially in the NIL era, can rule out like somebody swooping in. But I think that – Money's not even the issue for him now. It's, it's probably like just all of the things what is put the together. Best scenario? Yeah, yeah, because money's money's going to come regardless of where he goes. So yeah, very interested to see Caleb Downs uh, make his decision. Kim here. Coulter, thanks for the super chat. Craig nailed it. We appreciate the super chat. Thanks, if you'd Kim. like to send us a little bit of cash, we appreciate it. It's up to you. We don't uh, beg for it. We don't expect it, but we do appreciate it. Whatever you do. Now, Alabama has obviously been rated, and correct Chris Lowe of ESPN, who's really was all into the Nick Saban announcement. He was ahead of the curve, ahead of everybody in the country and a lot of what's happened at Alabama. He wrote a story about uh, uh, how they're losing these players, but they're not the only ones. But maybe they'll start to turn the corner and add a few. Uh, Washington four-star edge rusher Noah Carter out of Peoria, Arizona, who committed to Washington, is now apparently his leading, uh, I guess, location of where he ends up is the uh yeah uh, alabama so there we are with that a big player that is leaving washington among many that are leaving washington Takario davis defensive back at arizona 6-3 190 13 games on arizona's team that was really good he led the conference the pac-12 15 broken up passes 16 passes dependent defended this guy's really good that's a great stat line for any defensive back Two years left, he now is in the portal. Yeah, I think that makes their 10th guy, ninth or 10th guy. So. Well, one of them was the running back, remember, in Jonah yeah, Coleman. We'll have a note about that in a second. Has any national reporter come out with a tweet bemoaning the transfer rules because Arizona's losing players, or is no. that just reserved for Alabama? No, no. <laughs> because and that, that's a good point. That yeah, is a good because point. Because yeah. Arizona's losing players, and Washington's losing players, and the schools before that are losing players. I'm not anti-changing some things up, but I do think that all of a sudden it's Alabama, as we saw kind of the uproar with that yesterday, is silly when Arizona's sitting here losing Really good players, and you know their defense. Like I, I always mention their quarterback and their wide receiver, and they had the the running back from Texas, Michael Wiley, who was pretty good when he was healthy, and their offense was good. But uh, their defense was really good. Like their defense was really good. That's why Texas came and and grabbed one of their coaches and uh, and has brought him over into the fold. So yeah, I think that's. Uh, 
that's a, a team right now that's just trying to stem the bleeding as best they can. I know that McMillan and Fafita were at the basketball game. Well, you have that uh, oh, the sorry. Jason Shear. No, that's okay. So, I mean, there's that. And like and Coleman, just, who's in the portal, was even there. Yeah. yeah he's so, hanging like, out with his buddies. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, it could be just you're hanging out till you move wherever you're going to move. But, I mean, if they can keep Fafita and McMillan in some semblance of that that group, then that would be good. But, yeah, they're also bleeding out really good players too um and it seems like a lot on the defensive side so uh that's something that uh, is going to be hard to to wrangle but that's just part of the deal and that's part of the the rules and the way that they're set up right now so it's not just alabama even though because of their roster we just know those players we see those star ratings and it seems that much bigger but yeah there's there's others suffering the same fate right now due to the the way the rules are constructed well there's another ncaa led congressional hearing today but this one is interesting ucla quarterback chase griffin made this comment today that the effort to control NIL is rushing to put restrictions and guardrails around an industry that is in its early stages. This is from Griffin. Be patient. The free market regulates itself. Yeah, eventually. You know, I, I think I think that's the that's the that's the problem that I think a lot of people have is they don't know when eventually is. And they don't want to deal with the eventually because Eventually, there's going to be, like, again, the people who are buying into this, there's going to have to be some maybe better return on investment because the transfer portal is it giveth and taketh away. So if you pay to get a guy into the transfer portal, okay, I'll use Penn State and Dante Cephas. Uh, so he's a wide receiver. He transferred in from a Mac school last year. I think he was Toledo, and he went to Penn State. Didn't have a good year. Now he's back in the portal, and I'm sure the Penn State and our collective spent, uh, you know, a nice chunk of money on Dante Cephas to get him there. Well, eventually, there's going to have to be some sort of okay, what guarantees am I getting on the back end? Because they just spent from the NIL people, yeah, from the NIL oh, people, yeah. they just spent a lot of money to get a guy here who who contributed in no way to a team that was good, but he didn't really contribute. And now he's probably going to Kansas state. That looks where it's going to go. And that's fine for Dante Cephas, but eventually those things will like, as you said, the free market. So he's going to get paid again. Yeah. When he may not have, you think finished what he well, was supposed to no, do. My, my point okay. is like the free market is going to dictate itself right. because eventually people will say, well, we, we may not want to get into this if we don't have any guarantees. That's what they want. It's just, if you let the free market dictate itself, you, you do, there's no, there's no calendar that says on the 31st of, yeah. of, of January of 2027, right. that's when it's going to regulate itself into the place you want it to be. Chase Griffin, by the way, played high school football at Huddle in Texas, where, of course, their quarterback now is going to Texas Tech. I don't have a lot of comments on his playing career. I remember seeing his name years ago when he was, like, in middle school. He's a great self-promoter. I know that much. <laughs> um, because he was popular on Twitter, and I had no idea why, and I just assumed he was some – like superstar young quarterback prospect and obviously he's good enough to go get d1 offers and so i i mean that i'm not taking shots by any means but that's what i first remember him for like 10 years ago and then he went and eventually got into college and had the career that he had and and all that but the most crazy thing that i saw today coming out of these meetings was that he said that he has 40 nil deals across 12 states for what like i mean like I mean, that's why he's a great self-promoter because from what and how and how is that even possible? But, yeah, apparently he said he's got 40 NIL deals across, like, 12 states, which I was just blown away by. Good for him. Um, But, yeah, he was very much, uh, uh, I guess, carrying the flag for employment status and 
calling it a job. And, and there was a female athlete I know that was uh, talked to, and she said that she doesn't feel like it's a job. And so there's a lot of just, you know, yep. back and forth and, and a lot of, you know, different opinions and a lot of different feelings and a lot of uh, different, you know, things swirling out there when it comes to these uh, these meetings today. But the, the one thing coming out of it that seems to be clear is there's not going to be any resolution from this group. This Congress, there, keeps, there's not yep. going to be any resolution, and that was pretty much said at the end of the day by uh, one of the representatives that was interviewed, uh, whose uh, name escapes me at the moment, but uh, I believe it was a she that said, like, I don't think this is the Congress that is going to be able to get this done. This, oh, this is and, not the group that's going to okay. be able to. <laughs> or to, the next one. Uh, okay. The, <laughs> okay, I'll tell you this. In an election year, this is not a key uh, uh, an right. issue. No. Um, and here's the other thing. It's going to have to be bipartisan and I think if you say that word to most Congress people now, they're like, I would need you to use that in a sentence. Yeah, is that a cuss word? <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, by the way, Chase Griffin, uh, in his career at UCLA, in 2020, played in four games. He, he was the Texas Gatorade Player of the Year. Uh, he had offers from Ivy League, so he's obviously highly intelligent yeah, because he got offers from five different Ivy League, but there's a story on him. Yeah, I just didn't and get then, the whole 40 NIL deals across 12 states. I'm just like, how would that even be possible? Because I would think that you'd have to be kind of a name to to do that. But, again, he's a very smart guy. But I, if he has a social media following, he is well, the two-time does, winner yeah, of yeah. the National NIL Male Athlete of the Year Award so, from the NIL Summit and Open Doors. Yeah, so so he, he's doing something well. He knows how to, to market and promote and, and get that NIL bag. I just thought that that was crazy because I hadn't considered, like, 40 deals across 12 states, especially for somebody who's not, like, you know, uh, Jalen well, Daniels or something. That, that's who I would assume would have that kind of a setup. But, yeah, kudos to him. I'm just saying that was a crazy thing that I heard that I was just kind of like, wow, that's that's interesting. So, yeah, he was a part of it. Um, I know various others were as well, and uh, he's very much pro-employee um, status and those types of things, as you would imagine. And there are other athletes that don't so much feel that way. But, again, the, the kind of the main theme, I guess, coming out of this was that if you were expecting them to come to some sort of a resolution, Paul, uh, that's not going to happen. And no. So what do you do now, basically? How does, how does the, the world keep spinning and turning the way that it is and the way that it, it can be moving forward when you're not going to get the results you want if you're the NCAA? I mean, where, where is this now taking us? Further no. down the road. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, I know like, this is a hot-button issue now and it will continue to be for the people in the world of our world you know, that cover this and follow this and are fans of it. But the, I, I really do think this is going to be one of those issues that gets voted on and you hear about it kind of randomly if you're not a fan. Like, your fans will maybe know about it, but it's going to feel like, oh, yes, there's new uh, water restrictions that, you know, you have to do this. That's where it's going to be because it's just going to have to find its way through the maw of this until it just gets to a point where it's kind of a no-brainer to vote yes on. Like, that, that's it, and that's a really hard thing to accomplish right now. All right, I want to take a break here. Uh, we do have at uh, at 4 o'clock George Teague, former Alabama defensive back, played in the NFL, Packers, Cowboys, and much more on uh, his thoughts about college athletics, but also Mike McCarthy being retained. He will be back for his final year of his contract, no extra year. Maybe at some point Jerry and company change that. We'll get to that. That's later on in today's show at 4 o'clock. But there's also another issue in college sports that is flaring up is how long is too long? And Craig, Paul, we've discussed this when it comes to a collegiate career. I always remember Shipley at Texas, a hell of a player, was able to go six years. He had some bad injuries, and I loved it for him, and he turned out to be a fantastic player. And he was when he was in high school, I think, would have been at what, Brownwood or Burnett. But 
six years. Now there's seven years. Now there are nine years. We'll get back to that. J.J. Joe has responded on that as Twitter as well. We'll do that and more. This is 365 Sports. Stonewood Dental, Robinson, Texas. My dentist is Dr. Steve Childress. He's helped me understand that it's a daily process when it comes to your dental work. And if you don't take care of it for a day, then it becomes a week, and then it becomes a month, and then it becomes multiple months, and then you're in the dentist chair, not for teeth cleaning or just a checkup, but for a root canal or filling a cavity or having a tooth pulled or having implants. It has to get to you, and it did with me, and he has helped me turn the corner dramatically when it comes to that. Great staff, fantastic business. Uh, you want tea cleaning the simple every, what, six months or so? If you're doing it right, you're not worried about going back for that. If you're not, then you're worried about all of a sudden something popping up, and it's much more than just having your teeth cleaned. So Dr. Steve Childress is my dentist, and he wants to be yours. And his staff is fantastic. From the time you set up an appointment, walk through the door, and go back into one of the rooms or a dentist chair. Stonewood Dental, Dr. Steve Childress in Robinson, Texas. Drive into the new year with confidence and excitement during the Start Something New Sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Get incredible deals on our entire selection of new Ram trucks, Jeeps, SUVs, Chrysler sedans, or a sporty Dodge. Get more for less, guaranteed. More value, more selection, more service, more trade-in allowance, and even more competitive financing. Hurry in and start 2024 with a bang. Shop the greatest selection of inventory in Central Texas at Allen Samuels in Waco. In-store or online at allensamuelsdcj.com and make it a forgettable. Pioneer Steel and Pipe opened their doors in 1943 and they have never wavered with their focus on great product and customer service, relationships with a handshake, making sure you, the customer, is satisfied. Their new facility is now twice the size, allowing new inventory, higher quantities, and in a much more organized fashion. In addition to the long lengths in tubing, angles, channels, rods, and flat, Pioneer Steel and Pipe now offers several shorter, more convenient lengths of material already cut. Their 2,500 square foot showroom has over 1,000 new products in stock, new welding supplies, hardware, quickcrete, and do-it-yourself components for any project, whether you are a professional contractor or weekend warrior. The new facility is designed to make your loading experience faster and more efficient with easy drive lanes around the building and much more room to get your trailer loaded. Our location may have changed, but our values haven't, and our relationship with customers goes much farther than just business. Pioneer Steel and Pipe on Loop 340 and Highway 6 and just east of I-35 in Waco. Automatic Chef Canteen is a full-service micro-market vending and office coffee provider with state-of-the-art vending equipment, a wide variety of products, and offering custom-fitted micro-market vending office coffee solutions for your employee break room. You want a full break room solution and a workplace oasis? Well, Automatic Chef Canteen, locally owned and operated for over 50 years in Central Texas, also includes in-house mechanics on call 24-7 for fast, reliable service and maintenance. Automatic Chef Canteen, 6900 Imperial Drive in Waco or online at automaticchefcanteen.com. Looking to connect with Baylor alums in your area? Baylor alumni can help. Looking to host a watch party in your city? Baylor alumni can get you started. Want to step out in your community and serve with other alums? Baylor alumni is your connection with the university and each other. Let's get started. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni.
Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. So... We have discussed this, um, and, and we'll, don't let me forget, Garrett, the J.J. Joe response yeah. on this story. I didn't even know this existed, but Cam McCormick, tight end at Miami, started out at Oregon, is returning for what is his ninth year of college football. He was in the same recruiting class with Rashawn Gary, Nick Bosa, and Jalen Hurts. Battled through a lot of season-ending injuries. That's happened before. 18, 19, 20, and 21. I'm not against... This kid, young man, Cam McCormick. But uh, when is when is it too many years? And how is it hurting or what it is hurting? Here's J.J. Joe and then Craig Paul, you guys, please, with your opinions because we've discussed this before. J.J. Joe saying, good for him, but man, since the NCAA didn't keep rosters expanded, a lot of high school kids getting killed by this. I'm in favor of waivers. Pandemic really messed things up. But the NCAA needs to help high school players out and keep rosters expanded until these players are out of the system. Yeah, and this, I mean, a ninth year is just, I mean, how many years is too much? Nine. Like, I had to think I was looking at a Twitter, a fake Twitter handle initially. Yeah. And Bruce Feldman. Here's, here's where I don't get it. Okay, this is not a player who has any future in the pros, which is why he's doing this. This is also not a player who, based on the fact that he had eight catches for 62 yards and no touchdowns last year, is going to command a large NIL bag. This is not someone like Cam Ward comes down and they took him out to dinner with Rick Ross mm -hmm. because they wanted Cam Ward to come there. And Rick Ross said, yeah, you can have me a Wingstop sponsor and all like all these things. Like that was what they threw at Cam Ward and they should have thrown that at Cam Ward. So he's not doing it for what would be life-changing NIL money. Yes, he's going to get some money, like they all do, but it's not going to be one of those things where he's going to – it's a nest egg for him, like it is probably for Cam Ward now, regardless of what happens in, in, in the pros. He's not helping Miami all that much. They could go find any tight end that's in the portal that could get eight catches for 62 yards and be a serviceable blocker. So I don't see what the benefit is to Miami at all to have this kid back on the team. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Now, good for him that he got a ninth year. Great. Go live in your truth. But I just, I just don't get it. Yeah. I don't want it to, uh, bemoan the kid at all yep. or, you know, knock him. I mean, well, he's 25. So let's me. Maybe well, I, yeah. I guess he's a young man. Then, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's probably, he's probably married at this point. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but, uh, I know one thing he's got a high, threshold for pain yeah. he's got a huge pain tolerance come back from that many surgeries and injuries and be playing all this this time but yeah it just seems silly to me it seems kind of goofy that you'd be still playing college sports 
uh, a ninth year at this stage and in, in, in your mid-20s. Um, the only time I really remember seeing people that old playing college sports was when they came back from their minor league careers. There you go, yep. And they played like two or three years in the minors, baseball, and decided, you know what, I'm going to come back and be a quarterback. And we, we saw that from time to time. And, you know, Brandon Whedon, for example. like John you, David Booty. John yep. David Booty. I mean, there's various examples of that. And, like, that's understandable. But, like, to have been – like reaching that age, but you've been in college that entire time is just kind of crazy to me. So yeah, and and one of the things that I found really alarming from the testimony and the discussion today, and I'm not going to pretend like I was, you know, all engaged in that because quite frankly, if we weren't doing the show, I wouldn't be paying the slightest bit of attention to most of that. But the fact that we're covering college sports, it's something that you got to be paying attention to, and I get that. But it would be well off my radar if if I didn't have to be paying attention to it because when you start getting into government and all that and I just I don't know I I, I zone out but um, some of the talk today coming out of this was that there shouldn't be any eligibility rules at all <laughs> like there was actual discussion or at least takeaways and and what have you about not only the, the lack of restrictions on money. But just eligibility in general. That just there's play not as long as you want? Play as long as you want. That there's not necessarily anything preventing them from being able to say that you could play as long as you want to. And I'm sorry. That's where I think people are just going to be like, I'm out. Like, I know for me, I, I do not care to, to watch. Now, let's not also treat this like we, we tend to do uh, with anything. And it's like one person does it. And we're like, the whole world suddenly doing this. Like, there's not a bunch of people playing their ninth year of college football. This is still an outlier. But you are opening the doors to this being more and more common. And I don't know how good or healthy that is for the sport. It's great for the athletes, and everything's coming up athlete right now, which is overdue. But to how, how far are we swinging the pendulum the other way? Because the moment you start saying eligibility doesn't matter, which you're kind of knocking on that door already anyways, that's just not even college sports anymore. I mean, that is just... I don't know what that even is because it doesn't have the pro sports element of contracts either. So it's in this weird nether realm of some sport that I don't really recognize if we're suddenly tossing eligibility to the, to the side entirely. So that's another thing to be mindful of is, or just pay attention to is, yeah, even the eligibility rules are, are starting to get uh, See, that, under the microscope as well. All right, here's something. Uh, he had a string of injuries, broken leg, complications from a broken leg, a foot injury, when was the change in eligibility of a redshirt year? When, what year was that changed? Because for, there was a time before, I don't know, for a long, long time where there was a certain amount of percentage of the snaps. And then it was, you play one snap. Remember, Nick Florence at AT&T Stadium against Texas Tech had to come in in the second half, was trying the redshirt, came in, helped them win that game, lost an entire season of football. When did the, the, the change well, so happen where they said I, four games? I think it was... Like so two or three years ago? Um, I think it was more, more like five, six years ago. But it was that way for a while beforehand. Because That's you could what play. I just said. It was. It was there was a time when you away. could, yeah. and they took it away. Um, and so, yeah, it was you know one uh, snap, and that's a whole year of eligibility, and and then that that just didn't didn't make lasting well, sense. Okay, well, uh, let the four games happen. That's fine. Yeah. I'm not against that. But use it once. Kind of like a transfer. Okay. Use that twice. And, if, you know, but, but you, I'll, I'll tell you this. Okay. In the same thing as the free market regulates itself, this also kind of regulates itself in the fact that, okay, if you want to win, like, I, I, we're going to, we've seen it a little bit now where, like, yes, fifth and sixth year guys are going to help you. We're get, the veteran guys kind of helped you win. Yes, that's true. 
But I think when you're keeping seventh and eighth year players, if you get into that ninth, yeah, ninth year players, that is not going to help you win long term because. The proof's in the pudding. If you win, the teams that win regular conference titles and compete for the national title have guys that are going to be professional football players or professional athletes. So if you're on your ninth year, that means the pros aren't calling. So that doesn't really mean you're going to help somebody that much. You might help them a little bit, but you're not going to help them to get to that level. Like right. you need. You say it's it, okay, okay. Never so I don't think a lot of teams are going to want. You never had heard of a ninth year. I hadn't. Yeah. Craig hadn't. Here is another example: Michigan quarterback Jack Tuttle seeking a seventh year of eligibility. He, um, I think it was at Indiana. He went to Michigan. He said that if he doesn't get the waiver, he will try to be a part of the staff in some way as a GA. He now is seeking a seventh year of eligibility. Uh, Baylor had, who was it, Craig? Um, He'll play just as much as a GA as he's going years. to now. Yeah. Matt Jones, uh, last year's Bryson Jackson. Bryson Jackson was a seven-year guy. Uh, uh, I mean, I will say that I did read about McCormick and the fact that he has already, um, and I don't know that I you know, don't have the official confirmation from the University of Miami, but I was reading a couple of Miami uh, boards that uh, or posts that said that he had you know gotten his degree, obviously his first degree, but that he was working on you know another. It's like he's like using the school time wisely is what I'm trying to good. say, and that's good yep. because eventually you're not going to get a tenth year. But nine just seems absurd. Like a nine when you've got four season-ending injuries, there's. Like, listen to the to, to, to nature and to God saying, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't think this is in the cards for you anymore. That's, like, how I feel about it. But, you know, th- that just seems silly. But he has apparently used the all that time in college to his benefit and will have one hell of a, you know, pair of degrees and a resume to, to go into the work for, workforce with eventually. So there is that. But, um yeah, that's just, that's just wild, and I was trying to track down the original post I saw where it was, it was talking about just, you know, eligibility just being off the table entirely. It wasn't a report. It was just right. saying, like, the way that this is shaping up, there's really not, not an argument yeah. to say that you, there is eligibility rulings, and because that's just something else that you could sue for and then probably win in court because Lord knows the NCAA is not winning anything. So, you know, that'll be something to, to think about as well. But one thing that was very clear today was that eligibility rules in general, they're going to the wayside. Like, I mean, as far as the transfer part of this is going to the wayside, I don't think the days of sitting out a year, although those were becoming rarer anyways, but I think those are almost entirely going to be gone here pretty soon uh, of where you're just going to be able to, to not only go when you want to go, but you're going to be able to go as many times as you want to go. That was the one of the messages that I got from today. So uh, buckle up for that because it's kind of, we're kind of like halfway there. We're kind of like one foot in, one foot out of that. But this would, today's events, appear to be leaning towards a world where, yes, you can basically have unlimited transfer opportunities uh, without having to be penalized for that whatsoever. So that's that's another thing on the plate right now that would be kind of a traffic jam, as uh, J.J. Joe was alluding to. Well, yeah, J.J. saying that uh, you're, you're keeping the high school players from having opportunities. Again, there may be eight guys with this situation, maybe even 20 that have six years or whatever. But he was talking about, and I've even seen high school coaches are getting a little bit grumpy about this too because it's their players trying to have opportunities uh, to get into college. And the good ones will. They'll find a way. They'll find somebody will find a way to get them on the roster. They'll, they'll make room for them. One of the other notes was this. If you are a team that loses a coach, Alabama, Kalen DeBoer, Washington, et cetera, 
I, I brought this up yesterday, and apparently I either misread or the, what was sent to me about, well, they don't have a 30-day window to go restock their roster. The point was this. Uh, you have a coach that leaves. Your roster is available for everybody for 30 days. Um, but what about if you're a backup on a team that a player like Jatavian Sanders leaves and you're looking for maybe next man up, and you're not on a team where the coach leaves, but then they restock their roster and might take away an opportunity for you, and you've been loyal, and you cannot leave now until the spring if, in fact, you feel like you're probably not going to play. Yeah, I mean, that's one example of the uh, way things could go. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, uh, a case like that, but I'm sure there are cases like that out there. And Well, Caleb I, Downs is going somewhere to play. And, and, and well, the, he'll take somebody's spot. I know. Yeah. I, I just I don't, I don't have the answers for how you fix all this because one problem that gets solved turns into that, the problem that yeah, you're talking no, about. Did, yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, what about the guy behind that guy? And then what was he, you know, and so I, I don't know uh, what you do about that particular situation. I think you've got to... I think small W's lead to big W's, and the NCAA's got no W's, and instead of trying to get one fell swoop, which is what it seems like they're planning on is just like the government to solve everything for them, they're going to have to start getting like little W's here and there. Like, win some battles before you think you're going to have any sort of a win in the war, because you're losing every battle, and the war, I mean, it's it's not even a, it's it's so one-sided, it's not even funny at this point, but I mean, you're getting... Basically nothing. Yeah, they're Grenada. Yeah, I mean they're they're getting <laughs> demolished, and so try and get like a win here and there, just some semblance of sanity on your side of things. But yeah, I mean that's that's another issue, and then you know that creates, I'm sure, another issue and another issue, and so on and so forth to where we are now, where everything's uh, seemingly an issue for the NCAA, and everything's well. What about what about what about? I mean, you're just not going to be able to make everyone happy and have everybody's college careers go perfectly. I mean, that's nope. just the reality of it. But it seems that's like we're life. trying to attempt to do that, where it's like, let's. I, I don't know. I don't know how how all of that can can possibly work. But here we are. Diego Pavia from New Mexico State is headed to Vanderbilt and uh, anchored down. So he's headed to Vanderbilt. He won a national title in junior college at New Mexico Military Institute, played at New Mexico State with Jerry Kill, who's also going to be an analyst at New Mexico uh, at, at Vanderbilt after he retired, had the kind of that, not meltdown, but he was upset about the conditions during the bowl game. So Diego Pavia, pretty good player, New Mexico State now headed to Vanderbilt. It was because of Diego Pavia that he had that yeah. situation uh, yeah, uh, I, I uh, that New Mexico completely overreacted to. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, no, good for him. Uh, good for Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt's, uh, you watch what they're doing, trying to build a roster. They're They're trying to... They're trying to compete in the new SEC for sure. I just, I just wonder how hard it's going to be for them over over the long haul to really do that, other than having that kind of unicorn team that that kind of comes together for them. Uh, that's a really nice pickup for Vanderbilt. Uh, he was a really nice player uh, this past season, so I saw him. Uh, seemed like every single week, uh, you know, doing something notable and having some nice stats or just making some big plays. So yeah, I think he's a he's a nice pickup for them. I don't think it changes the SEC picture uh, very much at all. But uh, that is, you know, from a Vanderbilt standpoint, especially a pickup that I really like. Uh, that could be interesting for them. Um, not sure it adds a bunch of wins, but I do think they added a really nice player. So yeah, good for them. All right. Also, this is just a note. Uh, Justin Dungey. He has a pretty famous father. His dad is Tony Dungy, the former Super Bowl winning coach who's now an analyst on NBC, 
received an academic athletic career offer at Baylor. I saw where his dad responded. Just a note, Tony Dungy and Dave Aranda are very close, and Dungy even reached out back during Aranda's first year that didn't go well, uh, talking about demeanor and who you are and has talked to Aranda multiple times about who you are. Don't change who you are. Don't try to be somebody else with a personality, whether it, it works and or it doesn't. Now, remember the Jim Harbaugh story? About, Which one? Uh, well, <laughs> okay, the most recent one about his contract, and they wanted some sort of a, uh, a like an a, a, a amendment in there, a, a addendum in there about if he's fired, etc. Dan Wetzel today, uh, NCAA's new strict liability rule means every collegiate head coach is now at risk of being fired for cause if anyone on their staff commits a level one violation. That was not always the case. It was, I didn't know anything about it. In Mm. fact, we've seen that probably way too many times. So his story today, the podcast, excuse me, from Yahoo Sports was, you now will start to see whether it's Jimmy Sexton or others, the agents helping the head coaches get amendments to exist in their contracts to exclude that specific part. Yeah, um... This is a, I, I, this is a rule that I'm in favor. Of. The other problem is that the NCAA has to be able to enforce it and to keep it a level one violation. But I'm kind of in favor of this because for a very long time, the best thing, like you said, coach, that the best defense was like, oh, I am taken aback by this action of this rogue agent on my coaching staff i had no idea that he was doing this they've done it before yeah i mean that is a very common thing and so i do think there needs to be accountability for people on your staff if you're making as much money as these coaches are making the, the accountability factor needs to be higher so i'm kind of in favor of that but look if you can get it put in your contract that you can be bulletproof um i mean i guess more power to you but I, I do think that if you do agree to a contract like that, an institution is really putting themselves behind the eight ball of being able to fire somebody who's breaking the rules and 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 violating ethics. So, yeah, I, you know, I, everything they try doesn't seem to work. But I, I this is something I actually do agree with because I don't I don't like the fact because I, I do feel uh, they're treating all of us like idiots when they're like, oh. I had no idea that the guy that I talked to every day for hours at a time was doing this. Come on. Like, yeah. I get there's some of that. But, you know, when it comes to especially recruiting or team-related violations, it's it's either you plead ignorance or stupidity, like, or complicity. You're either ignorant or complicit, and both of them are bad. Yep. Both of them are bad. So, yeah, that was, that was a scape, uh, scape route at some point or a, a hatch. Now, um, you may have seen this yesterday evening. Cowboys, we had we have Mickey Spagnola at 525. Just a comment or two, and then we break and come back with George Teague. Mike McCarthy is back. He has one year left in his contract. Most head coaches or players do not want to go into the final year of their deal without an extension, whether it's a year or a new deal or what. McCarthy is back. I have no problem with this. I know I'm not a Cowboys fan. I like the guy. He's had a nice run. Obviously, we know what happened Sunday. We know what's happened in the postseason. Um, but Jerry's going to stick with him. Craig, uh, Craig and Paul, your thoughts about McCarthy? Did Jerry make the right decision here? Um, I don't know. I, I, they're missing an edge. I don't know how they get that. You can't just go draft or hire or 
create in a lab um, that edginess that you need. And they have a roster that most teams would trade for. I mean, some wouldn't because they're still going, but most teams would trade for. Even some teams that are pretty good would say, yeah, you know, we're pretty good. We could be better if we had this roster, player for player. Um, So he's got 12 wins three years in a row. There's no guarantee you can get better than that. He's made the Cowboys better than they were under Jason Garrett, so he's improved the team. Um, I, you know, but he still doesn't have the postseason success. And and honestly, if you think about everything they've done, era to era, coach to coach, over this time, I don't know what they've missed. It's always kind of a different thing, and they're just not very good at masking their issue when it comes to the playoffs, and I don't know what that is. So I guess they made the right decision. I don't know, but... You know, I don't know who could come in and fix it. Yeah, I think that uh, I've heard some just extreme reactions over the last couple of days uh, from Cowboys fans, Cowboys radio people. That's it's understandable when you have a big loss like they had this past weekend, but I don't know that firing McCarthy's the answer to it. I just know that's one of the only things you feel like you could probably do that would feel like you're doing something, and so that's why people want it. They just want to see somebody bleed. And um, you're not going to, you know – fire Dak Prescott off into the sun. You're not going to retool the roster overnight. You know, you're not going to – There's, I mean, what can you do, really, other than firing the head coach to make people feel like somebody's being held accountable? Because Jerry's not stepping down. He's not firing Steven. Like, the only thing you can really do is to fire the coach to make people feel like somebody's paying the price for them falling short once again. But at the same time, it's one of those deals where is he like one – you know, like that that uh, old newspaper cartoon meme of the guys like digging a tunnel, and he stops, but he's like one blow away from reaching the gold. You know, and and so that could, that meme can really lead people astray because they just never quit, and you probably should at some point. But I don't honestly know where the Cowboys are. Are they one strike away from reaching uh, the gold stockpile, or is it a never ending wall that they're just continuously scraping? You know to try and hopefully one day get gold. I, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. We, we, we have no idea. This of, doesn't seem to be like you put your thumb on this right here. Like one year it's this, the next yeah, year it's I this. Mean, they're what? right there. They're knocking on the door. But it's just like, is McCarthy the guy that's going to be the one to eventually be able to kick it in? I can't say that for sure. I don't think anybody can. And for all we know, he just needs one more season because they're not far away. Um, and I think that's the, the hard part in this whole deal is they are – Good and better than most, but not the best. And so they're in a weird purgatory where, yes, suddenly winning 13 games every year is just, like, not good enough and not acceptable because you're not winning that ultimate prize. But in reality, you could go to door number two, and you'd kill to win 13 games every single year. Well, so a lot of fan bases would, especially the ones I know. But in Dallas, yeah. though, the yeah. goal is the Super Bowl. And so that's, to me, like, if you think that he's the reason why they're not there, then fire him. But clearly they don't. And, and I don't know what they think the issue is other than just needing more time. But, yeah, it's a frustrating spot to be in if you're a Cowboys fan because you don't really know what the right move is. Mickey at 525. We had yesterday, of course, Babe Laufenberg. We've heard from Todd Archer and others. And we will hear from uh, Mickey today at 525 and also from you. When we come back, George Teague, former uh, Alabama defensive back who made one of the most famous plays in a championship game ever and also a national title holder, and on top of that, part of the Cowboys. His thoughts about Alabama and also the Cowboys and more, and this is 365 Sports. Samantha Duvall, 
TexasBeefHouse.com, farm-raised Wagyu beef. And, of course, it is spectacular. We've discussed it all the time. And you were right back when you had that that online auction that went so incredibly well, that live auction, too, that you were going to have more and more of them. And you've got one, again, scheduled for the end of the month. Yes, so we've got another live auction. So it'll be in person or you can bid online coming on Tuesday, January 30th. And we're going to have dinner beforehand at 5 o'clock. We're going to have smashed burgers. Um, We're also going to have some of our steaks for steak tasting. That Mm. way you can taste test it and then bid on it. And then the auction will start at 6.15. So you'll be able to bid um, at our place um, in person here in Tyler, Texas, or you can bid online at tci.live. And we're just so excited. The last two have been really successful, and it's just a fun thing for for us to do and be a part of. People who like steak, they've had all of the different types, farm-raised aged Wagyu, which is just spectacular. When people have not had that and they taste it for the first time, what have been some of the reactions with you? Well, and it's not even the steak. People will even comment on the smell of the ground beef, just how much different and how good it smells and how much different it tastes. Like it doesn't taste bland. The ground beef doesn't even really need a lot of seasoning. So a lot of people like that. They like that dry age that we age them for 21 days and that the entire carcass, just how much flavor, how much more flavor you're getting out of it. Tuesday, January 30th. And don't forget, you can also use the code SICKEM10 for 10% off your order. Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you ordered from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate at TexasBeefHouse.com. Cars price right, day and night. Average your car in Texas. Trucks built for you. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears. With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be a part of the Waco community. We're a small family business right here in Central Texas, and our goal is to bring down the cost of health care while maintaining high quality. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important, and unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. That's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through the difficult time. We offer premium MRIs just like a hospital with state-of-the-art technology and specialists, but you'll pay less. 
sometimes thousands of dollars less, whether you're using insurance or not. At Ideal MRI, we accept most insurance, and there are no hidden costs. Even offering financing, if that's needed, everything included in the price, and you'll not get something as a surprise in the mail later on. If you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. They'll know. You can schedule an appointment safely from home online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or give us a call, 833-IDEAL-MRI, IdealMRI.com. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive is a premier elite life-changing experience where you can change your mind, body, and soul. Offering over 50 group exercise classes every week, including boot camp, bar, silver sneakers, and 10 cycling classes with morning and evening classes available. New state-of-the-art bikes that allow you to compete against yourself with a screen monitoring your speed, miles, resistance, and power. Personal training with Christy London, Randall Corley, Alex Botts, and Nathan where you will be encouraged and motivated to grow, losing inches in weight the right way. There's a kids club included with your membership, plus sauna and tanning bed. 16 tennis courts, plus a beautiful stadium court and longtime youth tennis pro Britt Coleman and assistant junior pro Kenna. Adult tennis lessons and clinics with Blake and the commitment to pickleball with eight courts and instructor Jody Thurman. Visit the website at wacotennis.com next to Hawaiian Falls on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Enjoying the show? Hit the like button and subscribe. He is the athletic director, football coach at John Paul II High School in Plano. Former Alabama great. Also, hell of a player with the Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers in the NFL, and even the Atlanta Falcons. George Teague joins us. On 365 Sports, we'll get to his alma mater in a minute, college football in a minute. George, did Jerry do it right with Mike McCarthy? <laughs> well, yeah. Hello, man. Hey, yeah. what's up? Thank yeah. you for coming. <laughs> you know what? Uh, this is a this is a hard one for me, right? I, I I don't know that we actually got this one right. Um, honestly, I think that. Um, what you're trying to accomplish as a uh, team at a National Football League is always trying to win the, the title and the championship. And I don't think that, um, you know, that we've seen enough about uh, McCarthy and the staff. I think this should have been a better year where she went a little further. I know things happen in games. Um, but I think when you look throughout the course of the season, there were things that weren't addressed that should have been addressed. So I, maybe that's not Mike McCarthy's fault. Maybe that's the scouting department's fault or Jerry Jones's fault. But when you don't address things like the linebacker play and the size that we had or lack of size that we had and we were giving up runs in the biggest parts of the season, that was a problem. You know, when you look at the lack of depth maybe that we had on the offensive line and we couldn't run the ball when we needed to, when you knew certain guys were going to be hurt uh, throughout the year, we didn't address those. So I don't know if that's a head coach's issue, a scouting issue, but I feel like something needs to change so that this doesn't happen again. George, it feels to me like if you look at the Cowboys' playoff losses and the way that they – or when they lose against, uh, you know, big games on the road against good teams. It appears that if it doesn't go according exactly to their script, they don't adapt very well. As where, you know, and I know that this is kind of an extreme comparison, but the reason Patrick Mahomes is so great is that he doesn't need a script. 
You know, Josh Allen doesn't need a script. Joe Burrow doesn't seem to need a script that as long as you keep it close, those guys can can really do it. But the Cowboys, it seems like if it doesn't go exactly their way, the wheels fall off and it it doesn't go that way. How do you correct that? Because that seems more like a not a a, a coaching issue as far as X's and O's, but more of a a confidence issue. Yes, I 100% agree. And I'm going to toss that back into, I think, that confidence has to come from within the locker room, the coach, right? So here's my best example, right? So when I am coaching a football game and we've had to face very tough opponents at a neutral site or somewhere else, we're constantly talking about the what ifs. What if this happens when we're at Nolan Catholic? or Bishop Lynch, or St. Thomas, how are we going to mentally handle this when something does not go right? Because it's not going to always be right. There is a chance a quarterback's going to throw an interception. Or, you know, we're going to muff a punt. You know, we have to be mentally prepared for these deals. And the amount of money that we're putting in and stuff like that, sports science, all this kind of stuff when we're talking about professional teams, I really don't think there should be an excuse of why there's such a gap in the way that you play at home versus when you're away. Yes, you got to find players that can do that when you're drafting and you got to understand their mindset, but you still have to continually train on that. What is it going to be when you go to elements, when it's cold, you know, or when it's very, very hot. You have to be mentally prepared for that. So, again, I'm not saying it's all McCarthy's fault. It's an organizational deal where you have to uh, look and evaluate hard and say, why did we? I'm speaking as a fan now at this point, not necessarily as an analyst. So why, why, why didn't we address that so that we don't have these letdowns at very, very big moments um, in games like the playoffs? George, is culture an overrated word, overused word, or is it the word? Uh, I think it is the word. Um, it can be. It can sound very cliche, and trust me, I get tired of hearing about it sometimes when I'm here at JP2. Uh, you know, our culture has to, <laughs> you know, look like this and feel like this. You know, what does that mean? It's so ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't really know what that means. But I do know that you can establish certain part of things. You know what kind of culture you can create um, on a football team? That when we run the dog on football, it's going to be super physical. We don't care who's in the way. They can put eight guys in a box, nine guys in a box. We're going to run the dog on ball. That's Ravens, right? That's certain teams. The uh, Packers, when they came to this, we don't care. Y'all got eight guys in here. To me, that's you can say it's a mindset, but that's kind of a culture that you're building. I don't know. I don't feel like we were kind of that way. Okay. You know, what do we, uh, same way with stopping the run. How can it be so good that we could stop a team, uh, like, I don't know, Detroit slowed them down a little bit, you know, and others, but then you play someone like Arizona or, you know, how does someone hit us for 200 yards? What the heck is that? You know what? It's, it doesn't match. It doesn't correlate. Um, so originally, um, and I will say this, I did have some sources that I've talked to 
um, early in the year because, you know, I do the stuff with CBS. Right. And, um, and they had told me that, um, you know, we were getting too complicated on defense, that they were, um, Dan was trying to get a little too snazzy, you know, not doing what they were doing, and they needed to get back to who they were. I 100% agreed, and when he did, you could I could see it change. Hey, he went back to the basics. I feel like maybe in this last playoff game, he got a little anxious again. Hey, we got to do this. We know we're a little small. They do this, and then maybe it got too complicated, and the and the team wasn't who they had been. You know, into all those weeks building up into this playoff game. You arrived with the Cowboys in '96, the summer of '96, and played on the team that was really good. But there was a lot of distractions. I think that's the year that uh, was it Williams that had the car wreck and some other things that were going on. But did you ever think that would be the last? Well, and you didn't play in the Super Bowl. Um, but did you ever think it would still be a streak where the Cowboys had not been back to a championship game since the year before you arrived? No, not at all. That's unbelievable. If you would ask me that, even with our, you know, average years or so, was it going to be like the first Dallas Cowboys? That would have been absolutely not. Um, just because of the the trend that it started, the culture that had been set by Jimmy Johnson, um, you know early on, he put together a good formula. And I think that's when you see the rant by uh, Michael Irvin or something talking about that, you know, they always say as old heads, we have something to say, <laughs> right? But it's the truth in the fact that there was something about wearing the star on the side of the helmet. And you, everybody knows the pressures of being on this team. I knew it coming from Green Bay. And there's a lot of tradition in Green Bay. It was different being here with the Cowboys. Yes, I went to the, the Falcons. Wasn't that very long, but it, it was different and not in a good way. I mean, even the Dolphins where Jimmy Johnson was and he was trying to create that, it wasn't the same city. They didn't love football the exact same way. So for us to not have a good, deep playoff run since, you know, the late 90s, that that's kind of unbelievable. Um to me. I think it hit me the hardest with my son, who's 30 now, um, says, yeah, I, I kind of know about the Cowboys, but, <laughs> you know, what y'all hadn't really won, or we haven't really won since I was, you know, three. <laughs> you know, so why, so why, you know, why do I need to be a fan? This kind of thing. That, it kind of shook me a little bit because it hit me home. You see, hit it home real fast. You say you like this house you live in? That's why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, but, uh, George, uh, do you get – I know people are going to ask you about T.O. all the time and that, that moment at the star. But does it change where you are in the country? Like, if you're in, if you're in Alabama, if you're in Tuscaloosa, they're probably not going to ask you about T.O. They're going to ask you about running down Lamar Thomas, right? Mm-hmm. Does it just depend on what kind of fan encounters you, ask you about – one of those two moments? Uh, yes. Um, but I would say most of the time. So the Alabama play is definitely more centric. It doesn't mean they don't talk about it here, but it's probably more Alabama fans who may remember it or something mm-hmm. of that nature. When I'm in Alabama, I may get heavy, heavy dose of that national championship game, but inevitably, 
they always talk about Terrell Owens and the hit as well, just because they may. They're probably also NFL fans in some aspect, and Terrell Owens is from Alabama, right up the street, Thomasville, Alabama, not too far from Tuscaloosa, anyway. So um, I kind of get hit with both um, heavily in Alabama. Is that if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and although I get them hit both of them here, it's probably. Terrell Owens first, and then if they know about my history, they'll say, well, yeah, I remember that as well. So it's, it's kind of reversed on how it plays out by part of the country. If I'm out in Virginia somewhere, mm-hmm. it's all Terrell Owens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's it's stuff like that. Georgia, the 92 team that won the national title and you beat uh, Miami, that game, that play against Lamar Thomas was, all, it was called back but would have been a touchdown perhaps and then they don't accept the penalty, and they score, uh, which is overlooked at times, but you had a big pick in that game earlier. So, um, Gene Stallings, what did he mean to you? And there was a get-together. Somebody in the chat room that we have here on our YouTube channel mentioned some sort of a gathering with Gene Stallings. Were you able to get back? Do you get to go back to those reunions, so to speak? And and, and what was that like? Yes, absolutely. And can you imagine how much money I might have made it was NIL deals back oh. in the day after that. I'm still painting. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> I digress. Uh, but, yeah, I have seen um, Coach Stallings. I'm able to call and speak to him some um, as well because he's out in Paris. You know, So he's always opened mm-hmm. up his place to, to um, former players. Hey, come on out to the ranch. You know, hang out. Um, but um, it was great to really be around him. So we had our 30th anniversary a 30-year reunion of the um national championship you know just a season ago and we were all there and it was really good to see him and he and i are pretty i'm I'm gonna say close in the sense that you know he was a good secondary father figure to me asking about the wife he knew about the kids and everything else and he's always been that type of guy so i got to be around him and almost the ambassador with it from the team because he's so stubborn right now. Now he has that old man stubbornness too, right? He don't want to sit down. and Everybody knows he needs to sit down. So everybody's like, hey, T, can you get him to, you know, we don't want him to fall. We don't want him to do something. We need to get him in the golf cart, you know. And so I would always be the one to have to go talk to him, and he would always come back at this event and say, T, I'm not sitting down, son. I'm like, Coach, you need to be He's like, no, what you got to do as a man now when people are talking to you, you don't sit down and look up at the face. You stand up and you look him in the eye. You know, so he's still doing this same thing. He said, so I'm not going to sit down, so quit asking me. I said, okay, coach, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> you know, um, so it's kind of cool that he still thinks of us the same way. Uh, I, early on in my career, got to – Kai was uh, given a, a list by my co-host and said, hey, look, call these people. They're all Texas sports legends and try to get them on the show. And so I went home and I was talking to my dad and my dad is an Aggie. So he um, he said, well, you got to call Gene Stallings. And so um, I called Gene Stallings and I left a message 
And my phone rang about two hours later. He was out, you know, feeding cows or whatever he was doing. And the voice like, Paul, this is Gene Stallings returning your call about yeah. being on the show. And my heart leapt out of my chest hearing the voice. What was it like being recruited by him and hearing that voice on the other end of the phone? Uh, yeah, so uh, my situation is a little bit different here. And a lot of people don't know this. So I was not actually recruited by Gene Stallings. I was recruited by Bill Curry. Mm. So uh, when we started talking about transfer portal and all this kind of leaving, I kind of have good stories about what that means when your head coach leaves your very first year there at the program. So I actually came in under the Bill Curry deal. Gene Stallings came my sophomore year, my second year, um, and I finished with him. So he still brought a different, presence as much as I love Bill Curry and the staff, discipline, um, hard work, all the common words that you hear. Coach Stallings brought a different piece. He's very hard nosed, very, very bright like still, right? Just we're gonna be a tough nosed football team. We're gonna run. We're gonna you know, we're gonna hit hard and all that. But what he did differently for us, I think is he let us he taught us really more of how to be men. Like, literally, what did, what did it mean to be a praying man? You know, it was important to him that we ate, and he actually was teaching us how to say a blessing, how to say grace. You know what I mean? It was really important to him to talk to us about, okay, what are you, are you calling your mom? You know, what are you saying to your girlfriend? Are you still opening the door? You know, these kind of things. Hey, guys, I don't need you to be asleep at 10, but I need you to take care of, of the teammate to make sure we're all back in the dorm at 10. Go to bed at 11 or 12. I just need you off the streets. You guys got to be hold each other accountable to that. And I think that really led to our success because it really taught family values, like true family and family value from the team. You know, and how do you build and mold and help guys? So I'm, I'm very thankful to him. And I'm very thankful that he came that I could play with him because now, even now, he's saying exactly the same stuff, <laughs> you know, to me now. His first question is always, how's your wife, Consuela? You know, I don't even know how he remembers or no, I don't remember people's stuff, you know. What about your kid? I remember you had your, you know, your son. How's your son? Oh, he's right over here. Oh, great. You know, bring him over here. Let me, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it's, it's pretty awesome. So can you still do that as a coach or can you do it well enough with the transfer portal and NIL and more or are guys your age and mine, and I'm older than you, I believe, much older, uh, we have to just get used to it? I think we got to get used to it. I don't think you can do it. I think that's part of the reason, if not all of the reason why Saban left. You're getting – you can't really coach for the same – piece of hey I'm trying to help this person get better because they're going to turn their back on you because they're not as interested as you know a, a, a mom or a dad might have sent them to you to say hey man I need for you to help me watch my kid you know make sure he gets graduated in that thing it's different times now the dads and even the moms are like hey what can you do for me and my kid <laughs> now can you pay us for this trip to come visit you? You know, what? That wasn't how it used to be. And so now as coaches, you're constantly having to recruit 
the kids who are in your building. You're trying to blow them up and make them feel the best, but you can't do it with everybody. We ran into some of the same stuff at JP2, right, 100%. Well, we were really, really loaded. We were making our run to the state championship. There was so much turmoil. I shouldn't say turmoil. It's not the right word. There was so much I had to do to make sure that that backup felt like he was part of it. When I would say in older days, it wasn't necessarily the same way. They were part of they were happy to be a part of it. Hey, I'm going to get a ring too. I play what I want, but now they want to shine. I was actually having conversations with parents that said, how come his article by David Smoke and the guys and three, you know, how come their article is longer than mine? And it said the other kids name, like, what are you, wow. <laughs> you know, that actually happened. I was like, no, that, that is not what we're doing. You know, the guy had a good game. He whatever. He had three touchdowns or whatever. We don't have to talk about every single kid. That doesn't mean that you're not loved. You know, so then they want to leave. Well, I can go over here. I can be the guy. I want the guy with the right up. I want the bigger check. Um, so um it is extremely hard for coaches nowadays, even in high school, to be able to stay focused um with you know, just trying to put the best product out there on the field. George, do you think uh, Alabama made a good hire bringing in Kalen DeBoer? He's won literally everywhere he's been. Uh, I'm, I'm very supportive of the hire. I think it's a great um, thing to do. Uh, and, you know, it takes power in the university to be able to go steal a, a coach that just came off of, <laughs> you know, a state, I mean, a national championship run as well. I think he's hiring well and all that. I do think he has a – now he has a different hurdle because – the stuff we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Half the roster is going to look, wait a minute, I'm sorry, not even half the roster. More than half the roster is probably going to look different than it did um, last year. So that puts a very big challenge on Coach DeBoer to try to get the scholarship kids in, the portal in. It's another piece that he has to go work that is so much harder that maybe he expected it. I'm not sure. Um but you don't even really know what spring football is going to be like because the portal's going to close and then it's going to open back up. And, you know, it can look different again and by the end of April, you know, or May, um, that kind of thing. So it's – I think he has a big challenge not to necessarily try to fill his shoes, but there's some of that, filling saving shoes I'm talking about. Um, but just with the way college football is right now, he's got his back. I hope that he, we – his fans and the university can give him time to be able to say, no, this can't be a, a four-win season. I'm not saying that at no, all. No, 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 yeah. Um, but if it's a two-loss season, that's okay, <laughs> you know, in my opinion. Or three, because I thought we were going to lose two or three this year, honestly, when we first started. And I really think that with the way the SEC is going to be aligned next year with the new quads and all this kind of stuff, there are going to be teams that lose two games um, just because of strength of schedule. George, I've always asked former players who become coaches this, and I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, was it difficult initially because of how good you were when you played at Alabama High School and then also Alabama, then also in the NFL, to become a coach and be patient? No, absolutely not, because I've been around some of my uh, 
compadres who were, you know, the same way to have no patience and no stuff and aren't really good high school coaches or college coaches. There are people that just can't relate. They can't even teach the information. So I think that's a bad myth. Um, I think it helps for us to be able to understand, you know, pain, tiredness, um, complexities of the game and that kind of stuff. But I think it takes a, a certain kind of mindset for you to, to be able to take something from out of your brain, put it on a, a whiteboard, and then get it to translate onto a field. Um, that's hard to do. And it takes a person to do that. It just so happens that I think I get a little, a small upper hand because I can say, mm-hmm. hey, man, because I can ask, what? And they know I'm genuine. If this is confusing, you need to tell me this is doggone confusing. Because I remember when one time the coach was asking me, <laughs> you know, and I couldn't grasp it, you know, and I need for you to tell me that if you can't grasp it, I'm okay with that because I know what that feels like in the game where I'm just, my head's about to explode. Now I'm playing slow and then I'm crying at the end of the game and all that. That's not what I want. I need for you to open up and tell me, coach, we're really, really tired today. We had tests. Whatever. You killed us in the weight room. You know, don't don't BS me, but tell me the truth. That's what I can bring to them. They can go, oh, okay, he gets it. Because then I can also turn around like, come on, guys. Y'all, 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 are, y'all are lollygagging today. Yep. I gave y'all a rest. I gave y'all a rest for a couple of days. We didn't run. We didn't do anything. So what's the issue? You know, um, and then they pick it up. You know, that kind of thing. Last thing, if you don't mind, you moved around the country. Your dad, uh, your Air Force brat, uh, a lot of military brats can uh, relate to that. We can, too. Um, but you ended up in Montgomery. That's where you played high school football. How much Monday was Martin Luther King Day with the history of MLK and Montgomery? How much of that did you soak in when you lived in Montgomery? No, oh, it's huge. It was huge. Um, more than... Anywhere that I've been, I know they try to teach it in the, in the books, history books. But living in Montgomery and being right in the heart of civil rights, you know, movements and, you know, 45 minutes from Selma, you know, and the infamous bridge, you know, and driving over it, <laughs> you know, is um, is impeccable. And it was so different for me, guys. I, I know he's not asking me this, but I, if I could just say that it's so different living in Alabama particularly in Montgomery and those areas where there's so much history like that. And in the eighties, when I was growing up there, there was still a lot of racial tension and division so much so that I was on the first part of, uh, what do you call it? Desegregation, Mm -hmm. you know, where I was being bused from the black neighborhood to the white school, you know, that kind of thing. So it was very prevalent to me, um, about that. So growing up, like that and understanding when you start talking about Martin Luther King and, you know, the month of February and other things, it, it just, it just hit a little bit different. Like, man, you know, I was shielded from that. As you said, even on the base, I didn't know uh-huh. the full extent because I didn't care if the families were Mexican or Asian or white or whatever. We have, you know, we just knew dad and never going to go up and go march or fly the plane or do whatever, <laughs> Yep. You know, stuff they were going to do. We played together in the barracks and right in the yard is a true melting pot. Um, and I absolutely love that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to have grown up a brat. Um, 
but I did get a culture shock when I moved to Alabama. And it's my first time off base, and I had to deal with racial tension for the first time in my life. I agree with you. Living in all sorts of different places, on base or right off the base, and uh, the melting pot is a perfect way to put it. Uh, as growing up as a military brat, you didn't even sometimes realize it, that a lot of that was out there. Uh, no matter if in Japan or in Alabama or Kansas or whatever. Uh, George, love you, man. Tell everybody where they can get whatever you do. You mentioned CBS. Obviously, you're coaching in Plano. Anything else you want to promote what you do? I know the podcast that you do as well. Man, our podcast is uh, really taking strides. And that, that's one thing I would ask everybody to do. You guys can find me on Twitter. And uh, Instagram at Teague Football would be great. But since you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and go on over to Teague's Take Podcast. Teague's Take Podcast on YouTube. Um, and we really hit Alabama football and college football very hard, even so much so that we actually do film breakdowns. So I think people will actually love to be able to see and we try to teach like coaches because my son is a defensive coordinator as well. So we're always trying to – uh, give people the tidbits on really what they're looking at. <laughs> you know, just don't be a what do you call them the 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 armchair the armchair quarterback. quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah don't, don't do that. Come listen to Teague's take and we'll tell you exactly what's happening and have the evidence on film to back it up. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. I consider you a tremendous friend. Appreciate what you do, what you did, and what you will do in the future, George Teague. Part of a couple of uh, big-time games. And again, the, the strip sack of Lamar Thomas saved the touchdown, but that play was called back because Alabama was offsides. They smoked Miami back when it was uh, they were but, in full throttle. But uh, even the offside, it killed the play anyway. Like, so, yeah, like, no, yeah so, it was yeah. – Well, if Thomas scores, then they decline the penalty. But yeah. because of Teague racing down, catching him, uh, that, that the play then they just got five-yard penalty and had to replay the play. They didn't score – so there we are with George Teague. Appreciate all the things he brought up and all the things he was a part of. When we come back, Garrett Ross running the mothership, Jack McKenzie, Emery Winter already working on 365 Sports tonight on the CW, the local CW every weeknight at 1030. Paul and Craig, I'm David Smoke, and this is 365 Sports. Pioneer, steel and pipe. 1943, they opened up their doors, and they are thriving. And they think about all of what they went through as a business during the ups and the downs of the economy and much more. Pioneer Steel and Pipe, uh, Braden Embry is the marketing director and does a great job. They are, uh, this facility that they have now on Highway 6, east of I-35 in the Loop 340 is phenomenal. Uh, hundreds, if not thousands more product for you, if you build pipe, steel, and metal, metal buildings, they can help you find a contractor. They have a list of them that they know because this is what they do. So you don't get one that delays the project and you end up spending twice as much money or too much money. They're going to get you in touch with the right person if you want to build a metal building. They have the product for that. They have the product for commercial or real estate, pipe, steel, and metal. Their distribution is so much better, and I say that it was good anyway. 
but now with more bays and more areas for trailers and 18-wheelers and pickup trucks to load and then get back to wherever the site is that you're going to do some building. Also, on top of that, their product with numerous lengths now, instead of a standard length, they have it cut for you already. So that's not part of the process you still have to do when you pick up the product. Pioneer still in pipe, 1943, Loop 340 at Highway 6, east of 35 in Waco at pioneerboys.com. Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL fund baylorbears.com slash gxg contributions to support nil activations through gxg can be made at baylorbears.com slash gxg for more information follow at gxg underscore green x gold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com gxg empowering student athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL activations. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDI see an equal housing lender. Waco Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and bakery. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon wrap fillets, sirloin steaks, bone-in ribeyes, boneless ribeyes, and even prime rib. Cut specifically the way you want, the thickness that you want. They're all delicious. They have Norwegian salmon, mahi-mahi, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey, variety of cheese, and several options of sausage links and even regular jalapeno or cheese snack sticks fresh chicken breast or whole chickens sliced bacon pork chops and ground beef marinated beef or chicken fajitas and always large briskets and tri-tip available plus fresh vegetables so the great product customer service and tradition continues at waco custom marketplace a full service butcher shop and bakery open monday through saturday the bauer family waco custom marketplace 425 lake air drive in waco or waco custom marketplace.com this is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. 
The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. All right, last night we discussed to start the show some of the uh, post-game uh, drama with uh, UT and UCF with Rodney Terry and the horns down. We've discussed that probably at length, and it's probably not going to be the last time it's brought up. But we moved on from that. Now let's get to the games themselves from last night. Top-ranked UConn just defensively put the clamps on a high-scoring Creighton team. North Carolina is rolling, 86-70 over Louisville. Houston, uh, they were coming off a couple of losses, a little bit angry, and even one of our tech grads and Kim Coulter knew this was coming, retired stockbroker, enjoyed it. They crushed Grant McCaslin and company, but that was probably going to happen. Kentucky with a win against Mississippi State, OU. Rolls past West Virginia, and at the bottom, there's that UCF Big 12, the only Big 12 game that was not a ranked game, UCF beating Texas by six, down 16 at one point in that game. So those are the men's basketball games from last night. Yeah, impressive win for Houston. I mean, to to beat up on Tech like that, uh, Tech sitting there at the back half of the rankings, so see how uh, how that goes for them the next go-round of boats. But a uh, nice, strong win for the Cougars. Um you know, I was reading an interesting article last night about Gonzaga and just how they're they're teetering a bit on their tournament hopes. I mean, there's a long way to go, and yet again, not so long because we're in mid-January at this point. But Gonzaga's kind of playing with a little bit of fire as far as uh, their postseason goes uh, with the NCAA tournament, just their typical seeding and things like that. But um, yeah, that that wrong, bad timing if if you're. Mm-hmm. You're starting to falter as Gonzaga basketball. Like this is the one time you'd think that you'd really want to be as strong as possible, given all the things going on. So we'll see how they end up uh, finishing out. But yeah, Houston, a uh, great win for them. UCF was an awesome win. The Rodney Terry thing, I think, takes away from it. Uh, only if you let it, and if you're a UCF fan, you shouldn't let it. It should only be extra mustard actually on the win and make you feel even better about it. Which I'm sure how most are taking that. Of like, not only did you go into their house and get a win, um, but you upset their coach in the process, and you really didn't do anything wrong. So um, you you got kind of a double whammy of a win there. Uh, Oklahoma's been fun to watch with Porter Moser. West Virginia's really struggling, folks. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, they had the, the whole Bob Huggins uh, issue that crept up, and since then it's just kind of feel like it's been a little bit of a – of kind of a mess for them trying to figure things out. But, um, yeah, the Big 12's exciting and fun, and um, the – the race to that conference tournament is going to be hellacious to watch because there's every every go round you get top twenty five matchups at least two or three of those it feels like on every Saturday now if not four or five of them and uh, just in general the matchups are great so yeah it's been a lot of fun to watch so far. I spoke with Pat Nunley a little bit earlier today and um, one of the things I said and he he's the one you know here's a guy that played the game does the games he understands the team. If you have a chance to win a game, and you may let one slip away, somebody hits a three, something occurs, but when you have one and it's like you are holding it and you let it go, if you're not careful without overreacting, without being overly dramatic, you could get into a three- or four-game slide in this conference, depending on how the schedule fills out, whether it's on the road or whatever. Almost every time you mention this, almost every night there's a couple of ranked teams against ranked teams. When you have seven or eight teams ranked, there's going to be two or three ranked teams playing each other 
uh, almost every time you play during the week or on the weekend. Yes. Yeah, so you got fourteen teams, and eight of them are ranked right now. I think it's seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Houston. Iowa State, Oklahoma, TCU, BYU, Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech. Eight. So, yeah, eight of the 14. And then UCF's obviously got a couple of really nice wins. Uh, Texas was in there, and they finally dropped out. Uh, Oklahoma State, I mean. Yeah, they got beat badly. But yeah. I guess the coaching search is underway, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, the, I hate that because I really like Mike Boynton. I do, too. But, um, yeah, no, that, that yeah, Oklahoma, Oklahoma okay. State. And, i got to ask you a question about UCF. Uh-huh. Well, what? Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead and say Oklahoma State. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Oklahoma State. It's a bummer. I always thought he would kind of get them going in the right direction. I just, the NCAA pulled the rug out from Mike Boynton after Cade Cunningham left, and they had that like all that. It just, I always thought if you get one Cade Cunningham, you can get another. You know, not that there's just guys like that, but you can get those players that just haven't been able to string it together. Uh, look, we can talk. You want to know, like, unvarnished opinions about no, I Kansas? Need, I need to ask you, but we, no. do, we hey. need to hit off the radar. No, I'll just tell you, really, like, rapid fire, I can tell you without reprisal, currently, because Amanda is on a boat in the middle of the ocean. So, uh, you said that she, like, three days later, just launched this expletives about um, the game, right? I, a couple days later, like, the, okay, you know, so before now, they played the... Is she better she, off now because they just won in Austin? I, um, the UCF, I don't even know if she knows that because we haven't talked well, about don't it. I think she doesn't but, know Kansas won no, big she, two nights ago. She, uh, because of the service on the... The ship, you know, she doesn't get, she can't get the scores. So she had asked me, how did Kansas do? And I went, they did very well. And she's like, well, your definition of very well and mine is different. I'm like, they won by almost 30. So, yeah, they're all yeah, right. They're, they're, they won big. <laughs> they won big. This last note, then off the radar. Uh, no, let's do off the radar here. Chris Lowe of ESPN will join us just after 5 o'clock. His story, he has been all over and right ahead of the curve Every single time when it comes to Alabama, Nick Saban, Kalen DeBoer, but college football in general, over the last several days, great writer for ESPN. This is 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on for all of your automotive needs, whether that's getting your vehicle tuned up, whether that's getting something repaired, uh, whether that's going to buy a brand new vehicle or whether that's looking at a pre-owned model, all of those things you could be looking to do uh, with your vehicle, you can get done over at Richard Carr. And right now they've got a lot full of not only new, but also quality pre-owned cars and trucks as well. The quality pre-owned cars and trucks in stock, well, there's about 100 used cars and trucks to choose from, all inspected with a 172-point inspection. Plus you have the Richard Carr seal of of approval, and the financing goal is always 100% credit approval. They say yes when others say no, so if you're in the market for a used vehicle check out the 100 used cars and trucks all properly inspected and sitting there with that seal of approval right now over on the lot at richard Carr. if you're looking to go the newer route well then check out the buick lineup a perfect combination of first class luxury and value like no other suv ranked number one overall brand for new vehicle quality by jd powers buick envision offers amazing value Right now, you can save $5,000 on a Buick Envision, and qualified buyers get 1.9% financing on Buick's top-rated SUV, plus military and first responders can save an additional $500. So there's a couple of offers for you, but of course, if you've got uh, more that you want to 
ask questions about or you want to set an appointment, well, just contact them over the phone, uh, over the website, or go check them out in person. They've been in business for 24 years here in Central Texas, and over that time has built a reputation as the people that you can count on for your automotive needs. Run by proud Central Texans and proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcar.com today. Call them now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. It is the Boogie Wonderland Father and Daughter Dance. February the 10th, discoverwoodway.com forward slash events for more information. February the 10th from 630 to 9, Father and Daughter Dance Boogie Wonderland at the Pavilion at Carling Bright Arboretum, one pavilion away again in Woodway. Father and Daughter Dance will be February the 10th. Tickets are $35 a piece to go online, discoverwoodway.com for more information. It's a night that fathers and daughters can share to remember memories forever. Enjoy a delicious dinner, awesome music, and a lot of fun activities. Come ready to disco in your best party attire or semi-formal wear. The Boogie Wonderland Father and Daughter Dance Discover Woodway always put it on great events. And this one, memories for a lifetime. February the 10th, 6.30 to 9, and at the Pavilion at the Carling Bright Arboretum in Woodway. For more information, again, tickets $35 apiece. February the 10th, Father and Daughter Dance, discoverwoodway.com. Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL fund baylorbears.com slash gxg contributions to support nil activations through gxg can be made at baylorbears.com slash gxg for more information follow at gxg underscore green x gold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com gxg empowering student athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL activations. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. 
This is Craig Smokes Off the Radar, presented by Alliance Bank. They take pride in making banking easy. AllianceBankTexas.com. All right, welcome into Off the Radar here on 365 Sports. Just a segment we do uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays at around 445 Central that takes a look at uh, kind of the broader scope of sports, depending on the stories that are out there. I'll say it's not an incredibly busy time. Uh, Now that college football stopped playing and you've got the NFL uh, winding down its number of teams, uh, it's kind of a slower Thursday, but I think I've got enough here uh, jam-packed. And we're actually going to start off with some baseball. Uh, we are soon going to learn who will be the newest members of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2024, uh, less than a week away from getting the official announcements on who is going to make uh, this year's Hall of Fame. And there's a lot of interesting names that are involved. Uh, we'll definitely go over the list whenever it becomes official. But there are uh, a couple of guys, uh, or actually a trio of guys, Ryan Thibodeau, Adam Doerr, and Anthony Calamis, who are tracking the votes for the Baseball Hall of Fame. They basically just wait for somebody to reveal their ballot publicly, and then they take that, just like you would a Heisman vote. Does Heisman Pundit still exist? I don't think I don't so. Know. Well, it might because they're not allowed to I do it. I haven't thought about it well, in forever they're not now. allowed to be public with it. Right. I haven't thought about it forever, uh, and that just came to me as I was doing this because I remember you, you used to – like uh, he, he, whoever was running it would hear like a radio interview and they'd say, I voted for so-and-so and, and calculated it all. So it's basically the, the gist of it here is just those who have made their ballots public, they've been keeping up with it. So as of today, according to the uh, article from Yahoo, there have been 175 ballots out of 384. First of all, is 384 too many votes for the Hall of Fame? Or do you think with yep. a big pro sports How many are Heisman voters? There's more than that, many, probably. Like five or six, It feels like more right? than that, yeah. The, yeah. the Pro Football Hall of Fame does it better than anybody. and They, they do it as a committee. Yes. And, and I they think, weed it out, weed it out, weed it out, and then, boom, they get it down to a certain number, and then they vote on the weekend before. Yeah. yeah, so given the Heisman, I don't know what the actual number of Heisman voters is, but I don't know how you even get those. It's very strange because I feel like sometimes there's like a 22-year-old kid who has, suddenly has a Heisman vote, and it's like, how? you know? Or, and then there's some older writers who don't. I, I don't know how exactly that works, but there's 384 for baseball. Some will argue that's too many. Most will argue that they are pretty stingy in how they deliver their votes, and they obviously, uh, in many cases, have hold personal biases because of the way a guy did or did not talk to them. That has long been one of the complaints about the Baseball Hall of Fame. But take into account the votes that have been tallied so far, they have already been able to kind of bold who is likely to make it into the Baseball Hall of Fame coming up officially next week. And with 173 votes out of 175 ballots that have been discovered so far, a 98.9% chance of getting in at this point, or 98.9% of the ballots, Adrian Beltre seems like he would almost be a lock for the Baseball Hall of Fame. The, The greatest third baseman of his generation. Uh, and 3,000 hits and 400 home runs and all the, the numbers you have. Um, and when I say the greatest third baseman, I mean the greatest defensive third baseman of his generation. I think he, I think you can put him in the conversation with Brooks Robinson in the Mike like, Schmidt. All, the, yeah, Mike Schmidt in the all time uh, category when it comes to that. It, it, it would have been a travesty among travesties if Adrian Beltre, because there's a lot of guys who will not vote for anybody on the first ballot for any reason. Like Ken Griffey Jr. didn't get 100%, or he wasn't the first one. Cheater or, didn't get 100%. Cheater getting up because, yeah. like, oh, I'm not going to do it because Babe Ruth didn't get 100%. And you're like, 
dude. Not voting for Babe Ruth is just, you're an ass. Like, I'm well, sorry, like, you're just you're an ass. Probably drunker than Babe if you yeah, did that, yeah. like, back in the day when that happened. So it's like one of those things, you know, um, you know, Hank Aaron didn't get 100%, and you're like, what, again? Right, um, right. So I'm, I am all for it. I love that uh, Todd Helton looks like he, he's got a shot, and Joe Mauer. Yeah. Let him finish. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So elsewhere with the other <laughs> percentages. Yeah, uh, my bad. Uh, okay. You need 75% of the votes, and so they've been able to bold four guys who appear like they will have over 75% of the votes and thus be able to get in. So Adrian Beltre is nearly a lock, 98.9%. Joe Maurer, as Paul just mentioned, 83.4% of the votes. Todd Helton, 82.9% of the votes. And Billy Wagner. 80% of the votes as it stands right now. Those four would get in. Beltre, Maurer, Helton, and Wagner. Before we go to who's not at that threshold and who's very close to that threshold, your thoughts, obviously we all agree on Beltre, but uh, Maurer, Helton, and Wagner, any thoughts on those uh, those three? Maurer was a hitting machine. So is Helton. Helton was a That's hitting was machine, a hitting put machine. up big yeah. production numbers. Wagner was a flamethrower, lefty. Uh, again, relief pitchers. Closers have had a hard time getting in. There's not a lot of them, but you're starting to see more of them because during the era of the last 15 to 30 years, that became much more of a position rather than back in the 60s with guys like Mo Drabowski. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's good. There's, um, I think they're all they're all deserving. Um, you know, and obviously there's some steroid guys on the list, mm -hmm. and you know that's, that's just how it's going to be. But um, that are lower threshold or whatever but yeah. i i do i do uh, i do like where this class is headed and could you know there could be another guy or two that could could jump over the line yeah uh, if if the votes close well somebody who's very close to that 75 percent is less than two percent away based on the projections would be gary sheffield absolutely deserving yeah Absolutely. One of the best players. I think part of the reason it's taken them so long is that compared to Joe Maurer, who only played for the Twins, and Todd Helton, who only played for the Rockies, and Adri Adrian Beltre played for four teams, but Gary Sheffield played for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So, like, sometimes the guys who are more well-traveled, um, you know, don't. But he was... He played a bunch of he played shortstop, he played third base, he played outfield. I mean, he like he did everything, and he was a really good player, and he helped teams win World Series. And I, oh yeah, yeah. Gary Sheffield certainly one of the best players of there. So uh, Sheffield's right there on the the threshold, and it's entirely possible that he gets a bunch of those unknown ballots, and he's able to get in. Then Andrew Jones also knocking on the door at seventy two percent, longtime Braves outfielder. Uh, then you've got. Below that 70% threshold, which means it's going to be a real reach to get there, Carlos Beltran, Chase Utley, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez. Um, do you feel some kind of way about Manny Ramirez, or have you kind of uh, already... Look, I, I think he deserves to be in. I think A-Rod deserves to be in. Um, I think Chase Utley will probably get in one day. I, I don't know. He's, he's... But Utley, I'll say, Utley, A-Rod, and Ramirez are nowhere close. Like, no, they're, they're not. They're, they're less than – uh, Utley's at 43%, so he's nowhere. Okay. A-Rod's under 40. Ramirez is at 36. You said there's about 175 votes still out there approximately. Yeah. To get 80% of them, which all of them would need to get probably 90%, that's 140 
of the 175 ballots, that's not going to It's happen. actually like 200, but I mean, so you're looking yeah. at like 150, 160, so yeah, yeah. not, not so likely that's going to happen. 200 times 80% would just get you even in the conference. It's 160 out of, no, you're not, so, that's going to be hard to yeah, compile. It looks that. like the class will be Beltre, Maurer, Helton, Wagner, the way it sits right now. You've got a chance with Sheffield right there, and then Andrew Jones even a little bit as well. But then Beltran, Andrew would get in. Andrew and Beltran will get in next year, and and Sheffield will probably get in next year if they're that close. Yeah. yeah, and then Beltran is kind of in no man's land. Utley, A Rod, Ramirez like have no shot uh, unless I mean they they they're pretty much out of it already. So yeah, um, how many of them played for the Yankees? Oh gosh, um, I mean of the ones that are on the edge. Sheffield, Sheffield, A Rod, Beltran all played for the Yankees. So yep. that that uh, that doesn't hurt. It really mm. doesn't hurt because of the media presence. But yeah. by the way, you asked about the Heisman. There's nearly uh, they have like 894 <laughs> voters. Yeah, that's triple the amount of. Uh, I'm almost one of them. Of, yeah, but I'm a newbie. Yeah. I've been in it for about what five or seven years. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it's cool. It's a cool honor. I'd love to be able to say that I voted for the Heisman Trophy at some point in time. But uh, yeah, there's just a little look at uh, the. The Baseball Hall of Fame votes that will become official next week. Um, and there's a bunch of guys who are kind of teetering on whether or not they'll even be able to make the ballot uh, next year, um, as that would include a list of guys like Jose Batista, uh, Bartolo Colon, Tory Hunter, uh, Jose Reyes, David Wright. Those are some of the names that are uh, likely to, uh, to fall off the ballot uh, for 2025. But we can get into that more next week, and those all become officially known. But I'll tell you what, I'll be paying more attention this year because of Adrian freaking uh, Beltre. I'll be happy. One of well, my favorite you know players what? ever. Jake, John Blake yesterday at that luncheon said that he will be a first ballot Hall of Fame inductee. Like, well. he kind of knows where that's going, and, and obviously those stats show that, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, he's on nearly every ballot yeah. out of 50% of them that are or a little less than 50% that are out there right now. So there you go. There's a little baseball Hall of Fame for you. Uh, Football-wise, out in the pros, Mike Tomlin had a press conference today that was uh, a little bit more interesting. As, uh, the last time we saw him, he was uh, a little bit of a grumpy mood. Would that be fair to say? Uh, not wanting yeah. to answer questions about his future, but uh, he showed up for his season-ending news conference today and was in a much better mood and actually uh, talked quite a bit about his future. He said, good afternoon. I'm in a little better mood today. Anybody got any contract questions? This is how he started off. And then when uh, asked about the walkout of his press conference the other day when he was asked about his contract, he said, I could have handled that situation better than I did, but I'll also say this. I just believe there's a time and place for everything. Post-game press conferences are probably not the place to address contract issues and things of that nature it's just a very individual thing. It talked about being in the game day mindset, but did eventually go on to say, yes, I expect to be back. And I'd imagine that those contract things are going to run their course. And they'd go on to uh, at least one reporter talk to Art Rooney, the team president, uh, after the uh, press conference was over. And he confirmed that they are, in fact, looking to extend Mike Tomlin's contract. So he was able to apologize in a way and also reiterate uh, or I guess put out there that uh, any thoughts about him moving on from Pittsburgh uh, are not going to be happening. He's not only staying, but he's likely going to sign a contract extension. So one of the longest tenured guys in just sports in general out there. I like Mike Tomlin a lot. And uh, now they've got a big question about, and part of what the press conference was about is like, 
you know, what do you do with your coordinator situations, but also at quarterback? I mean, is Mason Rudolph going to be the guy for you moving forward after the way he closed the season? Or, like, what is your, your plan to pivot there? Well, Glenn Thomas, their quarterback's coach, is going to Nebraska. Yeah. And I, so, I don't know if that's because they asked him to or he became available. But, but yeah. They, Kenny Pickett got hurt, and then yep. Rudolph took over. And so, they, they've got to address that, and he kind of acknowledged that. But Mike Tomlin's not going anywhere. He's going to be in yeah. Pittsburgh for I a while. love it. I yeah. love Mike Tomlin. I love the continuity. I love the Rooney's. Never, ever has had a losing season in all those years as the head coach of the Steelers. Talk about pressure. We hear about the Cowboys and whoever else. There's as much of those expectations as the Steelers right, organization. Now, like, if he were to become available, if he just decided oh. he needed to change the scenery, like, that's the one country, like, like hey, I think, I think that's the kind of attitude the Cowboys need. Yeah. But uh, I think they're going to – I would be interested to see the Steelers get in the Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson talks. Look, just okay. to maybe yeah. shortcut that a little bit. Um, we'll see, you know. Yeah. Mason Rudolph, though, did a good job, former Oklahoma State Cowboy. And that might have been what Glenn Thomas helped him do and maybe uh, helped his resume, yeah. Uh, and then uh, close it out with uh, basically this, I guess. Uh, tonight, college basketball got some top 25 matchups. Memphis hosting South Florida at 6 on ESPN. You got number 23, FAU, hosting Wichita State. And then number 14, Illinois, is at Michigan uh, out there in Ann Arbor. So three Top 25 matchups later on tonight or three ranked teams in action later on tonight. And I guess one more thing here while uh, Paul makes a phone call, but uh, we already knew that Usher is going to, or I guess I just broke that for you probably, that Usher will be the halftime performer for this year's Super Bowl, but they've also started to announce some of the other to-dos. Reba McIntyre, Post Malone, and Andrew Day will be your pregame, I guess, uh, entertainment for Super Bowl, was it 58 Coming up yes. here uh, in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. LV, triple Roman numeral I. Yes, uh, LV, LVIII is what it is. So, yeah, Reba, Posty. What a, what a tandem there for the pregame festivities. Would, would, would you guys like me to sing a few bars of fancy? Uh, no. no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, but White Iverson, sure, go, go right ahead. No, yeah. and then and then Ursher will be your halftime performer. Yeah. That was already out there. But there's a few things off the radar. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate that. The world. That's great news on Adrian Beltre. Hopefully that trend continues. We're now joined by ESPN senior writer Chris Lowe, who has been all over the Alabama story from the Saban retirement to everything since. And, uh, Chris, thank you for your time. Paul Craig and David Smoke here on 365 Sports. So what would you say, what would you describe the mood right now inside that football office in Alabama? Inside the office of the fans, I'd say inside the office, it's basically that you can't, there's not enough hours in the day, you know, as far as trying to add some guys in the transfer portal, Make sure you're still keeping as many as you can from leaving, uh, finishing up the staff, just trying to put your infrastructure in as quickly as you can. And I would say that 20, um, you know, there's 24 hours a day. I would say probably if you're Kalen DeBoer right now, you wish over 40 hours a day. There's just not enough time to do everything he's got to do. Chris, I mean, this is the most seismic thing to happen to college football in the coaching circles, uh, maybe ever, in the way that it's reverberated based on the rules now. Um, Was there any, like, push by Alabama to try to keep him there so they didn't have to do this coaching search? Or was it just a, you know, all right, well, we knew this day was coming. Unfortunately, it's today. No, it was his decision. He um, he thought about this the last couple years, going about – 
through this process with his wife. Was it time? Was it not time? And I think as they discussed it after the season this year, they just you felt like it was it was time to get out. You know, he would have been seventy three next football season. The wear and tear on on this year and last year, as you get to that age, took its toll on him because Nick Saban is just not going to do it, but one way, and that's all the way. He doesn't know he he would not have been able to sort of you know, scale back a little bit and be more of a CEO. That's just not the way he's wired. Uh, so I think the AD, Greg Byrne, had some notice that this, this was probably it after the season. So he had a working list that he was able to start with. But, no, I mean, I, you're not going to – when he decides that it's time for him to walk away, you're not going to talk him out of it. And um, they – but any good AD, listen, when you've got a guy like Saban who's just finished his 17th year, he's 72 – He's going to be prepared for this. You can't just wait and say, okay, we're going to start from scratch. So he had a guy, he had a list of guys that probably he had worked on, edited a little bit over the last couple of years. So when this day did you know, inevitably come, he'd be ready to start. I think that's that's what happened with Byrne. He was gone that day, later that night. And I, I know he had, you know, three, four names right there on his list that he wanted to work off of. Just got some uh, breaking news here. As a matter of fact, Alabama, Kalen DeBoer picked up a uh, commit from Washington transfer quarterback Austin Mack. So that just becoming a, a piece of news here down the line. So Alabama picks up a quarterback from his old stomping grounds. Chris, if this were college football of old, which it's not, but if it were, uh, would Saban still have a few more years left in him not having to deal with the portal or NIL or any of those things, or is that overblown? You know, I think that was a factor. It wasn't a factor. He does, you know, he's made it pretty clear. He's not he's not crazy about the version of college football. Just the lack of uniformity, really. Not the fact that kids are getting paid, but having to re-recruit your own guys and runners and agents and attorneys, you know, trying to shop guys from one school to the next, out of the portal, in the portal. Uh, that's the part he didn't like. And, uh, you know, it's – and I think if you talk to most coaches, really 98.7% coaches are going to tell you the same thing. But I think it was more a combination of he just felt like it was time to go, time to head over to somebody else. As I said a minute ago, it taken its toll on him. Uh, and he wanted to leave well, two things. He wanted to leave when the program was still in good shape and not dipping and not taking on water. Well, he might have been one of his better coaching jobs this year. And they're an overtime win from getting to the national championship game. I think the second thing is when he walked away and he's told me this in the past, he wanted to have enough quality of life that he could go out and do some things. He and his family and his wife, Terry, that he simply hasn't had time to do that, that, that his quality of life was good enough to be able to do those things. And I think that certainly factored into his decision as well. Chris, was uh, Jimmy Sexton unfairly criticized for having all of these candidates that would probably be the ones contacted when Nick Saban retired? Well, I mean, crit- criticized, I would say probably if you're in that world, you're an agent. Um, that's that's what you want. Yeah, now it's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. It's, now, but, it's but, probably a compliment. Yeah. It's, it's, you've got all those guys, and he, he's he's been that guy, you know, that um, whether it's Sarkeesian, whether it's Saban, whether it's DeBoer, uh, Mike Norvell, Lane Kiffin, all those guys are his guys. And, you know, he had that one day, you know, Sarkeesian got a raise, Norvell got a raise. The board goes from Washington to Alabama with a raise. It's probably going to double what he was making at Washington. So, I mean, that's, you know, the money, the money now the coaches are making is 
pretty insane. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that, but that's sort of the market. And, and when you look at college football now, and I always advise people close to me, fans, friends, family, you know, love your school, love your program, root for your school, root for your program, but know that the game has changed, that the players and the coaches aren't necessarily going to love you back all the time because there's ability now to go and make a lot of money for coach. And if you're a player, you got chances now to go from school to school and get bigger deals. And that's sort of what we're seeing now in college football. Other than replacing the legend, which we've always heard about, don't be the one that does, be the one that replaces the one who did. But with the NIL that Saban and Alabama had set up, is that now a problem because there was a discount with Saban being the head coach? Well, I know they've got to continue to build that. I know that's a priority now in Alabama, to continue to build that collective because there's no no mistake in the fact that when kids come on campus or they're transferring, they want to know what kind of deal they can get. And, you know, Nick was always a, a let's, let's divvy it up sort of as, as evenly as we can. That's just sort of the, you know, the generation that his school of coaching he came from. And that's not the way it really works anywhere else now. I mean, you're going to, your quarterbacks are going to cost more, edge rushers are going to cost more. Uh, but no, I think that is a priority now in Alabama. To, not that Alabama had fallen way behind. I mean, they still, the last couple of years, were able to get great players. They got a couple of key transfers. The recruiting classes were good. Um, but yes, absolutely. People, kids wanted to play for Nick Saban. Uh, two reasons. Number one, his teams have won every single year and played for championships. And maybe more importantly, every kid that the Alabamas of the world, the USC's, the Texas's, the Ohio State's, the Michigan's, every one of those kids thinks they're going to play in the NFL. And we know that the percentages say that that's far from the truth. So where they want to go, they want to go to a place that has, or a coach who has a proven track record of producing a lot of NFL draft picks. And, and Nick's, what's the stat? He's got more NFL first-rounders like double the number of first-rounders he's produced in losses his entire career at Alabama. So those are the skins on the wall for him. And that's why kids wanted to come play, because he had set them up for success. And, you know, probably something that's not talked enough about is his graduation rate among players was among the highest in college football as well. Chris, uh, you mentioned Jimmy Sexton and getting all those guys' raises. Um, and part of being a great agent is getting your client a raise even when they're not necessarily up for a job. They could be theoretically up for it um, because college football, you know, has to work that way. How many of those guys actually did talk to Greg Byrne and interview? Well, Norvell definitely did. Uh, there was definitely contact and conversations there. And I think from the get-go, I was told it would be one of those two guys, DeVore or Norvell. Uh, both of those are, are sex and clients. Sarkeesian uh, is absolutely a guy that would have been on the list. He should have been on the list, but he was, at the end of the day, Steve's not leaving Texas to go to Alabama. I mean, he, he's already making a ton of money. He's got a great roster, and Texas is moving into the SEC next year. So why do you want to go in and replace that guy when you're already at Texas? You're at a Rolls Royce. So, I mean, yeah, he got a raise, but uh, I never thought and never talked to anybody who felt like he was going to leave Texas. Uh, those were sort of the main three guys. And everybody, I mean, I don't. I never thought Lane Kiffin was a candidate. Uh, Davo Sweeney is not a Jimmy Sexton. Uh, never thought he was a main candidate. And Dan Lanning's the other one in Oregon. Dan had a $22 million buyout. And, you know, he's, he'd only been at Oregon for two years. I don't think he ever was really 
on that list either because he just wasn't realistically at that point going to leave Oregon to go to Alabama. And you're right. You want to be the guy that replaces the guy, not necessarily the guy that replaces the guy. Um, and a lot of guys just weren't raising their hand to sign up for that. Taylor DeBoer was. And I think being that secure is on skin to go in there and tackle that challenge has resonated with a bunch of the kids on his team. Not all of them, because some of them have jumped in the portal, but some of the ones I've talked to certainly aren't blind to the fact that their coach is a guy that was in the national championship game last year but was ready to take on this challenge of going in behind a legend, and not everybody's ready to do that. Chris, this may be a silly question. I think everybody on this show has broken a story at some level a time or two. You've obviously broken a lot of big stories over the years, but when your tweet first came out, I think I joined everybody in America of like, all right, is that the real Chris Lowe? Just making sure <laughs> the username wasn't something else. But did you – I mean, you had to have realized at the time you were about to heave a salvo out there in the college football world, but what was it like just to, to break that story, have that waiting, and, and know what was about to take place as you press in there? <laughs> Yeah, I got several calls, several text messages saying, hey, is this you? Is this, <laughs> is this legit? So, unfortunately, in the social media world, we all have to deal with that now, sort of the, the fake accounts or, or bogus accounts on I don't, social media. But, no, I knew. I knew what uh, how that was going to just it, absolutely go viral. And, and, hey, it's Nick Saban, you know, the guy that's, I don't know, in our lifetime we'll ever see anybody. And it may be a long time to have that type of run. So I understood and it was certainly cognizant of the fact that the college football world was really getting ready to be turned upside down when I got the news from two people I trusted that he had indeed retired and told his team. That's the thing I think that I would add is, you know, Nick's such an old school guy that he a hundred percent, a thousand percent did not want that to get out before he told his team. Mm. Um, And I found out literally right after he told his team, he was not going to do anything or say anything to anybody. Uh, that would potentially jeopardize that. He wanted to be the one in a team meeting with all his guys there and telling them, hey, guys, I'm retiring. Before they read it, you know, on the Internet or on a website or social media, and it's rare now that coaches are able to do that because the immediacy of everything, people talk, kids are on Twitter, they, you know, they're texting their buddies, somebody in the, the football complex is texting somebody because they've heard it. So to me, that was the accomplishment of all accomplishments. You talk about who broke the story. But the fact that he was able to tell his players before it got out there publicly is uh, pretty amazing in this day and age. Not sure if you, you won't know this story, but Jalen Milrow was, was on his way flying into Texas to Tyler for the Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award. He was a finalist. And obviously that changed things. That got interrupted because that, I think, I don't know if he was in mid-flight or was about to leave or not, but that did change some things. That says a lot about you, not just to scratch your back, but that says a lot about you that you had those kind of sources and that's what we like work for that would give you that kind of information for then you to do your due diligence that that was available to you. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've done this for a long time and, and I, I've had a chance over the last 30 some years to get to know a lot of people and, and cover ball. I covered the NFL for a while covered college football and, and, and guys sort of come up through the ranks and you get to know them when they're assistants, you know, you maintain those relationships. Um, you know, I, I feel sorry for the people that are covering college football right now, the younger folks, because it's harder than ever to really be able to get in and know guys and establish relationships because, you know, covering all these big time schools, it's almost like covering the Kremlin. You, you can't get in to talk to anybody. 
just a handful of players are made available every week, selected players. There's not a lot of one-on-one sit-downs. So, you know, relationships, again, I, I call myself very fortunate, very blessed that a lot of these guys now that I cover, I've known for a long time and got to know them back during a time when we could actually talk to assistants. Yep. You know, you could talk to coaches after practice. You got to know them, you know, sit down with them, spend some time, go to lunch with them in the summer. Those days are over. No kidding. Yeah. Your story today to wrap it up, and thanks for your time, about the players who are not running from the change, who have not entered the portal, the ones who want to remain there to help keep that standard and believe because of what you mentioned, DeBoer did not run from this job. He accepted it and wants to thrive in it. Uh, They have lost a lot, but they're going to gain a few things. What about a coach that when he leaves the program can lose their roster and yet that program really, because of the timeline of semesters and the transfer portal, kind of can get stuck without being able to fill up some of those spots until maybe April or whenever. That's just where we are, guys, in, in the sport. And it's, it's no different anywhere. I mean, if Kirby Smart announces tomorrow that he's going to go take the Atlanta Falcons head coaching job, same thing would happen in Georgia, especially when it's a coach of that stature, uh, a coach that has won, a coach that, that kids want to go play for, um, basketball is a little bit different. You know, Shashevsky announced his retirement, and he coached the whole year in hoops. But in football, uh, well, you see, look at what happened at Washington. A bunch of guys are are bolting at Washington after DeBoer left there. And, and Arizona, same thing in Arizona with the Jed Fish leaving Arizona to go to Washington because there's a 30-day window uh, for all schools, if your coach leaves, that you have a chance to transfer. And I know a lot of people don't like that. I mean, it, if you look at it from all the different perspectives for a kid, you know, you say, well, okay, well, he ought to have at least to have a chance if his coach leaves. But if from, for the program, you know, yes, it can be crippling. It's, it's, it's very, very difficult. But, it's, uh, that's just, again, that's just sort of where we are. And kids can go where they want to play. They don't have to sit out like they used to. And now it's multiple times you can transfer. And, and everybody says where we're headed. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, but, but clearly there's got to be – at some point, some uniformity that takes into account the entire program, the kids' needs, and, and their best interests. Because I, I don't feel sorry for the coaches. So those guys are making a ton of money. Yep. Uh, now, they have contracts. They have buyouts. Uh, there's ramifications if they leave. I mean, as I said, at landing left, it would have cost him or whoever was, was hiring him $22 million. I think DeBoer's buyout was $12 million. So those are real dollars and cents. So they do have contracts, but but yeah, I mean, I don't know how it is, how it works out. I don't know that I don't know that I have a lot of confidence that Congress is going to fix things. Um, but it's uh, it's something that if, if you don't adapt and you don't evolve, and you don't figure out a way to deal with it and spend most of your time complaining and belly aching about it, then you're probably not going to be able to sort of be up and stay up with the time. Chris, great stuff. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. You got, hey, anybody that knows Dave Wilson, I'm always willing to go on his show. Oh, oh, yeah. He and I used to cover Juco basketball in East Texas together at uh, some gyms that, of course, have a great history. But, yeah, thank you for checking on that. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much. Dave's a great friend, too, uh, and with you at ESPN. Chris Lowe, ESPN, broke the Nick Saban story and has also been all over the coaching changes and search and DeBoer and more. One of the quotes from Tyler Booker, a junior offensive lineman at Alabama. I want to wish 
them well whenever they go, the players who have entered the portal. But just because Coach Saban is gone, that doesn't mean the standard is gone. He taught us that standard. It really comes down to why did you come to the school? I came to Alabama, obviously, to play for Coach Saban and play to his standard, to be challenged every day, held accountable by my teammates and people in this building and the fans. No amount of money could buy me away from Alabama and my legacy here. Yeah, and, and that's great for him. It's not true for everybody. No. You know, and so to each their own. And that's that was the thing. And, and I think, you know, it's starting to be kind of kind of clear here that Nick Saban, so what Dave Aranda tried to do with NIL was what Nick Saban was trying to do. And he knew that players were going to get more, but he was trying to spread it around a little more evenly. And he can get away with that because he's Nick Saban, because you know that, if I'm going to invest in Nick Saban as a player and go play there, that my return on that investment is probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. That I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to probably wind up if I want to be an NFL player with a really good shot to do that if things go the right way. So he was able to do that. Well, he's just, he's not there anymore. Kalen DeBoer and nobody else has that kind of street cred. Like, so now it's, okay, where, did, where do I want to go that's not the place that Nick Saban was, you know, that, that I liked more or that's a better fit for me because I wanted to play for Nick Saban. That's not going to happen. No offense to Kalen DeBoer. I'm sure he's a great guy, but I came here to play for Nick Saban. That's not the reality of the situation anymore. Uh, the fact that they could keep it under the hat for as long as they did uh, is like it just doesn't happen anymore. Not even with high school football coaching changes, much less somebody named Nick Saban. Well, yeah, I agree with Paul. I also think there's just guys who nowadays are just it doesn't matter. It's just yeah. chasing money. Um, it's just chasing money or exposure or whatever. And hey, if that's the path that you choose to take, I'm not saying that's wrong either. To each their own. But yeah, it's good to know that there are guys who are just loyal to the school, to the program, and that even with the coaching change, they're still going to give it a shot where they are. And for those that don't do that, I get that as well. Everybody's got their own, you know, goals and dreams or objectives. And uh, for those who want to stick it out, I think they're like, let's, it's not like they're suddenly the children of the poor out in Tuscaloosa. Like they just hired the coach who finished runner up for the national title, like with far less resources and money and talent bed than the, the place that he's now occupying as the head coach. So um, the only downside to this is just that the expectations are so astronomically high because the greatest to ever do it is the one leaving. Um, not another guy who just like won a couple titles. It's the best to ever do it. So yeah, the shoes are huge, but I think that speaks really well of Kalen DeBoer that he's embracing that. Whereas others would be like, nah, you know, or maybe be scared of it. And I don't think like a Sark or those guys, I think their situations are unique because it really would be somewhat of a lateral move in so many ways. So, um, you know, there's, it's always going to be interesting to see who would, jump up and, and grab the uh, the baton and want to run with it. And, and DeBoer's the one that did. So I'm excited to see what he does with it. And I'm fascinated by just this new era of college football, not so much all the other stuff that we talk about, but just a post-Saban world. What does that look like? I mean, because we've been accustomed to one team being in the mix every single year for two decades. And now they may be a non-factor for all we know for a season or two, or they might just not skip a beat. And it's like, damn it, we can't get rid of them to save our mm. lives. But it's going to be fun finding out which which path this is going to take now. Yeah, you mentioned uh, those who want to move on. And yesterday you brought up how many players may have moved from Alabama to Auburn or vice versa. Do you have that tweet, Garrett? I, I, I saved that yeah. because Craig brought <clears throat> it up yesterday. Second. It's from uh, Craig Stevenson the first. Antonio Kite is, the, uh, is only the second Alabama scholarship player of the modern era to transfer to Auburn. 
with running back Corey Grant in 2011 being the other. It's never happened from Auburn to Alabama to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, a long period of time we're talking here, but uh, it's good to see that there is some rivalry aspect still there where it's yeah. not just rampantly happening every year. Um, so there is some of that, uh, I guess, that's a line you don't want to cross from one side to the other if you're most of those guys. But, yeah, that's, that's interesting to note that it's only happened twice. And um, I don't know if I had to – you know, place a bet, I might have said over. Uh, might have said, like, maybe three or four guys yeah. have done that, but only two? Okay, but, yeah, that's that's interesting and would love to know the family situation yeah. because I'd imagine a lot of the guys down there, it's it's split families or it's hardcore one way or the other. So, yeah, making that move. Will. Making that move, it could get you out of probably some somebody's will in some, some, some cases. I don't know about Antonio Kites, but for some people, yeah, I bet it would. I, I, do, I do wonder if Nick, like, ever, like, went to – you know, was talking to like a booster and was like, yeah, there's this kid in the portal from Auburn. We might go talk to him. Like, no, 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 no. Got to be better options than that. Right. You can take him from LSU. Like the, cause like here, part of it is Alabama. It feels so, and they are, but I mean like, but it's, so the fans probably feel so superior to Auburn. It's like one of those things like, no, no, no LSU. We respect them, but Auburn, we're not going to, we have no, we'll take somebody from Georgia and LSU and Ohio state, but like Auburn, yeah. The, those peasants aren't allowed to cross yeah, this threshold. Right. Please, pish posh. Okay, right. I got to ask you guys a quick question. All right. If you were Chris Lowe and your phone rang and it's like, hey, um, just going to let you know that Coach Saban is – like if, whether it was Coach Saban himself or the person who, would, who was told to tell Chris Lowe from Nick Saban's camp, and you got that, would time stop for you for yeah. a second? Yeah, I think so. I would, I, I, yeah, I, I think so. Um, and and we've all been in a position where there's a story, but the Nick Saban story, or you know, something like that, or when Jimmy Johnson, of course, we know what happened when he was going to get hired and Landry was fired and all that. That was kind of just someone had to be in the right place at the right time when they heard about a possible uh, couple of guys sitting at whatever the Mexican food restaurant was in Dallas. Yeah, no, it would. It would be almost like okay, someone's trying to trick me. Uh, you you could be very positive with your sources. But yeah, it would. I would. I, I, I would still be like. Yeah. Part of the reason that time would stop for me is to be like waiting for that guy who maybe have a friendly relationship to be like, ah, I'm just kidding, man. Yeah. Just yeah. want to see what you would say. How's your kids? Yeah, you know, like it's that one kind of those of thing. things where I like, <laughs> that, you know, like push, go, push it, and you sure as hell hope that somebody didn't fool you. But then that's why you do your due diligence. All right, when we come back, Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com. Cowboys are done. Mike McCarthy's back. Dan Quinn coming back, too. Dak will be back. Um, we'll discuss it with Mickey. Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com, is next on 365 Sports. Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. The Hot Honey Magnifico. They got a bottle uh, that you can get and buy. $10.99 each. There's a code number for that for large pizzas, specialty pizzas, uh, two medium, one-topping pizzas, cheesy bread, two liters of drink, soft drink, whatever product you want. And that's online. Also, Pizzoli, which you can imagine is kind of like uh, a pizza rolled into maybe even like looks like a sandwich. Uh, for five ninety nine each, limited time only. There's a code word for that. You can order online to Marco's Pizza, where you live where there are Marco's Pizzas, like in the Waco in Central Texas area, five of them, Bell Mead, China Spring, Woodway, Hewitt, and also in Robinson. Marco's Pizza, the fastest-growing pizza brand in America. Bob Mock, the owner. Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. 
takes time to reach goals. It's a truth that applies to more than sports. It goes for your financial goals as well. You work hard for your money, and you deserve an investment strategy that lines up with your game plan. And Chuck Verneau, your Edward Jones financial advisor, can help. If financial investments aren't putting forth the effort you desire, stop by today for a financial review. Chuck Verneau, 720 North 64th Street in Waco, 254-732-1161. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Shop savings during the Start Something New sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Right now, get a 2023 Ram 1500 Laramie Crew Cab four-wheel drive with 15000 off MSRP or 2.9% for 72 months only at Allen Samuels in Waco. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Bring in the new year with unbeatable savings on the new 2023 Ram trucks during a wrap-up-the-year sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Take advantage of this limited-time opportunity and start the new year in style. Shop our great selection in-store or online today. Samantha Duvall, TexasBeefHouse.com, farm-raised Wagyu beef, and of course, it is spectacular. We've discussed it all the time, and you were right back when you had that that online auction that went so incredibly well, that live auction, too, that you were going to have more and more of them, and you've got one, again, scheduled for the end of the month. Yes, so we've got another live auction, so it'll be in person or you can bid online coming on Tuesday, January 30th. And we're going to have dinner beforehand at 5 o'clock. We're going to have smash burgers. Um, We're also going to have some of our steaks for steak tasting. That way you can taste test it and then bid on it. And then the auction will start at 6.15. So you'll be able to bid um, at our place um, in person here in Tyler, Texas, or you can bid online at cci.live. Tuesday, January 30th. And don't forget, you can also use the code SICKEM10 for 10% off your order. Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you ordered from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate at texasbeefhouse.com. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is brought to you by Edward Jones Investments and financial advisor Chuck Verno, who'll navigate you through today's financial climate. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Uh, over the years, I've known Mickey Spagnola. He's joined the segment, the show's forever and there's always a huge story about 50 percent of the time where the segment could be a player being signed or cut whatever coaching change so we we're in that 24-hour period mickey where you're scheduled today and 
We have the Mike McCarthy news, and Lord knows what else happened while we've been on the air. But when Jerry made the decision, was this being safe with continuity, or was this him believing truly they're that close to winning something better than what's happened? Well, I think it's uh, both are hand in hand. I, I think that, uh, you know, you don't dismiss having won 12 uh, games in three consecutive years uh, and that, you know, you subscribe to the theory that you got to keep knocking at the door and maybe it finally it'll fall in. And so staying with continuity. I think the other thing we've got to consider is, um, okay, everybody's got an idea of who to hire, right? And there's all these big names out there. Well, why are those big names out there in the first place? That's, that's my, my first question. And if they can't fix their own problems, how are they going to come somewhere else and fix your problems? Uh, if indeed you say we got problems from uh, the head coach. So, uh, and then other than that, uh, you're certainly not going to turn this franchise over to some coordinator that's never been a head coach in his life. Uh, and he's going to practice on your, uh, on your franchise. So I think Jerry Jones figured the most prudent thing is, is let's continue on, on this path and do what we can to improve our player personnel, meaning get players in here that, uh, they need in several positions that might help uh, prevent what happened uh, losing these playoff games when they have to play against credible opponents, not a bunch of uh, you know teams that uh, finish the season with losing records. Mickey, I think you know outside of like Jim Harbaugh, who's in the who's in the coaching pool because he's wildly successful at Michigan and he was successful when he was with the 49ers. Um, I think you're right on like Belichick and all that. And especially when you look at like, if it was Bill Belichick and I like, I like, I honestly have no idea what the Cowboys should do to fix everything. Nobody does because it's been so long and they seem to do the things right. And then they just don't work out. But Bill Belichick would be a very short fix, in my opinion, in that, like, you might get that title and he might get his 15 wins and, uh, you know, be the all-time winningest coach, but he's also 71 and, you know, it, it can is that sustainable? And Tom Brady's retired still. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. And then my first question is, who's his offensive coordinator play caller? Yeah. Because you got to replace that, right? Mm -hmm. And he had a hard time replacing his defensive coordinator and it went from bad to worse if you remember and he was in charge of his personnel there right so mm -hmm. i'm not sitting here feeling sorry that well you know his quarterback wasn't too good well that's who he wanted uh so i think you have to be careful uh on things like that now uh i think losing the playoff game was bad enough but how you lost it was probably worse and I think you have to look into the telltale signs. Uh, if, 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 if you look at when this team was playing teams with winning records, they, they lost to them. And, and they beat a couple, but they weren't uh, have established their winning record till the end of the season, like when they beat the Rams, right? Well, the Rams were struggling that early in the season. Um, the same thing. You know, oh, but they beat Philadelphia. Well, big deal. They should have beat them the first time, right? 
and, and, and you beat them during their streak of losing, what, four of their last five games? And if you include the playoffs, five of their last six. So I don't know that that was a, a, a great accomplishment. They beat Detroit by one point. Uh, but the rest of the time they were playing teams with, you know, 11 wins or more, they were getting beat. Now, I know the Packers came in at just 9-8, and eight, and everybody looked at the seventh seed and thought this was a walkover. Well, they had won seven of their last ten games, and the quarterback, a first-time starter in the NFL, played a heck of a lot better than he did those first seven starts of his career when they went two and five. So to me, you got to look at what was going on when they were losing uh, to San Francisco, when they were losing to Buffalo, when they were losing to Miami, and earlier in the year when they lost to Philadelphia. They were losing to teams with winning records. Uh, so to me, uh, I think we dismissed all that. Well, they're playing at home. Well, they didn't play any of those games at home except for Detroit. And, you know, by the skin of their chinny-chin-chin, they beat the Lions. Uh, But other than that, they're losing to teams that had credible records. And so that they lost to the Packers, uh, I don't sit there and go, well, they should have killed that team. No, they shouldn't have because, and, you know, and I know what's going to happen. The Packers will go the next round and get their butts beat, and it'll discredit everything I just said. Uh, but that was a pretty good team, and they had a pretty good plan on how to defuse the Cowboys' offense and how to take advantage of the defense. Mickey, um, Green Bay won the toss and elected to, to take the ball. That doesn't happen a lot. You, you have to be pretty confident, or you have to know, man, we can't afford to let them have the first drive. We go to the 3-0, 7-0. Dallas with the lead is, like anybody else, is dangerous, but they're really good with it. Was that kind of a ballsy move by him? I think it was a smart move. Uh, and in my books, like when the Cowboys would win the toss and they would defer, and it's like, why do you want to defer? Because there's a good chance you're going to be behind. And now you got to play catch-up. And the way that offense had been playing all season long, I want the ball. I want the lead. I want somebody else to play catch-up. And, and while – you know, you, you might look at it as being ballsy, especially you're on the road and you're going to play in a predominantly home crowd of 93,000. Uh, I think they they thought, we don't want to have to put our quarterback down seven to nothing, and he's got to play catch-up uh, because that helps out the Cowboys' defense. They can unleash their pass rush. And God forbid if, we, if they score and we don't, and then they score again, and now it's 14 uh, to nothing. Uh, I, I just don't understand if you have a good offense, this idea of, well, I'm going to go double. I'll get the last possession uh, in the first half and the first possession in the second half. Well, the only thing you're guaranteed is the first possession in the second half. You're not guaranteed the last possession in the first half. So this notion that you're going to double up, uh, I, I just, I'm not a fan of it. If I win the toss, I want the football. Mickey, um, as they, they you mentioned the key positions, do you think they would be um, last year their their free agency was really trading those draft picks? And I know that they've got some compensatory picks probably coming their way and and, and whatnot for this year, but they don't have as much draft capital obviously that, as they've had in the past. Do you think that they will maybe be 
uh, not like first day of free agency um, aggressive, but maybe a tad more aggressive when it comes to, uh, say, linebacker and defensive line um, in particular to try to, to shore up that run defense? How much money do you have in the salary cap? Well, see, and that that's something we'd have to figure out because they've got to do several extensions, I know. Well, and they don't. Yeah. I mean, you you would like to. You would like to take Dak's fifty nine point what four five million off the cap, mm. but how far are you going to extend him? Mm-hmm. He's already played eight years. Um, are you going to give him a five year contract? You know, I think that's got to be, you know, figured out. But even even, you know, the money you are going to pay for a quarterback, you can't go crazy in in free agency. Now you're going to have to hit in the draft, and you're going to have to help uh, get help from some guys that were hurt. But think about this: the linebacker position. After Leighton Vanderish got hurt, how many true linebackers did you have on the team that you would put on the field? I mean, none really. One. Yeah, Demon Clark. Clark. Yeah. Right. So they're out there uh, on the goal line with. Packers first and goal at the three and the one, and they're playing six defensive backs. Well, what do you think happened? They ran right over them, right? So the linebacker position, you know, and who knows what happens with Leighton Vanderish. Maybe he's thinking, you know what? I'm close to really messing my body up with this neck problem. Maybe he doesn't want to play. Well, you're going to need some linebacker help. Now, uh, again, Overshawn gets hurt, and that ends up really hurting him because they had a position mapped out for him, and he was going to do the deal where J. Ron Curse was, who didn't do a very good job of handling that position this year. Uh, so that was a linebacker. Is Micah Parsons a linebacker, or is he a defensive end? And somebody's got to tell him what's best for the team, not what's best for his uh, pocketbook Bingo. because obviously we know defensive ends get paid for sacks linebackers don't get paid that much but to me he's more valuable as a linebacker than an every down defensive end but they've got to fix that position and no longer masquerading masquerading along with a safety at 6 215 playing linebacker i think marquise bell did a heck of a job as good as he can at his side trying to play linebacker, but he's a safety. Uh, you know, J. Ron Kurse is a safety. He's not a large stand-up linebacker at the line of scrimmage that can cover. Uh, so that, to me, is position number one. They got to get better in the secondary. After they, you know, with Stephon Gilmore injured, they ended up one cornerback short for this game because Gilmore tries to play gallantly with a harness on his shoulder, but they tried to compensate for that to keep him out of a lot of contact, and they tried to play zone. And that didn't go over very well because they had more busted coverage uh, than you can shake a stick at trying to play zone and instead of the man they played all year. And if you think about going forward, while they'll get Trayvon Diggs back, uh, but does he come back – the way he was before the ACL, or is it going to take a year to get back to that level? So 
you've got Jordan Lewis and Gilmore, unrestricted free agents. So at this point, you basically got two starting corners you can sink your teeth in, but what's next? And you don't want to get in the situation where I don't, I'm not, I don't trust any of these young guys to play left corner. So uh, I'm going to play the injured corner and, 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 and then try to play uh, coverage instead of man coverage. And on top of that, if you saw the second, the second half, Malik Hooker played very little at, at safety. They were trying to mask that position. You know, he was coming back from an ankle injury and he played through it pretty well. But he only ended up playing 38 snaps, which was about you know two thirds. So they played most of that second half without their single high safety. And we saw what happened when they put replacements there, uh, because Luke Musgrave catches a pass 30 some yards downfield, with his back to the end zone, waiting on the ball because no one's within 20 yards of him, right? So. Those are things that, boy, you better fix those because, you know, I don't know if that's the head coach's problem or a matter of personnel problems that they didn't have enough guys, enough depth uh, to play these positions at a credible level. Uh, Mickey, one thing left for me, and thanks for your time again today. Dan Quinn, obviously defense was highly ranked, forced a lot of turnovers, but the thud of what happened on Sunday if he wants to come back, I'm sure he's got a spot there. And even I think McCarthy said that. But he is interviewing. Uh, is it enough to where different than the last year or two where this might be an opportunity that he actually does leave? You know, it's hard to judge, David, uh, because, yeah, there's opportunities out there. He had opportunities previously, uh, and he decided to stay. So the interviews he's done and will do the rest of this week our uh, our Zoom interviews because they can't do in person till next week, so it'll be I think uh, you know kind of revealing if he decides to go places and interviews. Everybody assume uh, he's going to Seattle because he worked there before. They like him, they know him. Uh, but to me, if I'm looking for a job right now as a head coach, and, and I got to look at the reason why who's ever been fired before me why he wasn't successful. And the only place that I know that you can go sink your teeth into a quarterback would be the Chargers. But the rest of them, I ain't so sure that I want to go someplace and have to inherit a quarterback or because that was the reason that coach wasn't successful or count on drafting one and raising one as a rookie. Not everybody ends up being C.J. Stroud, right? Mm-hmm. No kidding. He looks really good. And the difference night and day like Jordan Love was from earlier in the year to the last few games. Mickey, enjoy covering the, uh, the uh, what is it, uh, I guess the, the egg hunt with the Cowboys moves when it comes to coaches and players and re-signings and extensions and more. We appreciate your time. Enjoy. I know you'd rather be covering a game, but enjoy the rest of the week, and thank you for your time as always. Sure thing, and maybe I can cover the East-West Shrine game, right? Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Let me know, and we'll uh, hopefully get you on that week and talk about some of the prospects. Thank you. Mickey Spagnola has been with uh, segments that this show has had from the beginning uh, and started with me back in 1992, the year the Cowboys went to their first of the four Super Bowls. This is... 365 Sports. 
It's time for Paul Catalina's Top 5, brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Okay, before we get to the top five, uh, my good friend John, who's a big UCF fan, and he he was one of our sponsors of the trip uh, when we went down there uh, in the fall. Uh, big fan of Garrett and Jack's uh, College Chaos podcast, as a matter of fact, John is. Uh, he is a, a you know UCF alum, big time, like season ticket holder. He these socks. And this is not something we mentioned, have been available for UCF for a very long time. This is something they do horns down. They're well versed in it because their biggest rival are the is Bulls. The, the Bulls. The Bulls. USF. I brought that up today. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Um, available, and I'll give a free plug here on Rock'em Socks. If you would like to capitalize on this UCF versus Texas movement, UCF horns down socks. Uh, exists so there's bulls the night have horns throwing the horns down yep there you go yep. i i explained that to somebody earlier today and they just didn't believe me Let's they see. did not hey, believe me. look ucf and usf hate each other a lot oh it's a and turf get, war and guess yeah. who doesn't care about horns down yeah usf people yeah they don't care all right Just, thank you for sending that john that. appreciate it yeah, yeah. doesn't they don't care okay top five Big 10 NFL draft prospects. And I want you guys to to, to tell me what this list uh, is lacking when I get to the end of it. And it will uh, make a point that I, I think is, is pretty, pretty interesting. Number five, Kalen King, quarterback, Penn State. One of the best defensive backs in the country. Fits in a bunch of different systems. Penn State's defense was fantastic this year. Not the reason they lost any games that they lost. Uh, their offense was the deal. Kalen King, uh, probably a top 35 to 40 draft pick, depending on the service. But it is a heavy uh, draft for defensive backs. But he is one of the best ones uh, and someone who uh, could be, I think, maybe a plug-and-play corner in the right system. Number four, Jerzon Newton, a big hog molly defensive tackle from Illinois. This guy is a space eater. Uh, he's probably a top 15 pick. He might drop out depending on how the quarterbacks things shuffle out, but probably the best defensive tackle available uh, when it comes to that position. There's other defensive ends, but uh, Jerzon Newton from Illinois, someone that uh, I do think will get picked really, really, really high. Uh, and, uh, and I'm, I would think he doesn't get past the bears uh, at eight or nine, wherever they are in that second pick. So is this all positions? Yeah. All positions. Okay. All okay. positions. Yeah. Top, just top five overall draft prospects in their, in that conference. Number three, Olu Fashanu from Penn State, a second Penn State guy, uh, left tackle, uh, big dude, top 10 pick, maybe a top five pick, depending on how that shakes out. Um, road grader, you know, he's a tackle, he's not a guard, uh, someone who's going to protect the blind side more than likely, and a team like, you know, say Tennessee that really needs that, wouldn't be surprised to see him or Joe Alt from Notre Dame be their pick, but Olu Fashanu uh, from Penn State just knocks people in the dirt. Yeah, I mean, he's part of why I asked because you had a Penn State guy so early, yeah. and then I figured that might be the only one since we're talking about such a large conference. But, nope, here he is. Yeah, that's that's why I was asking yeah. that. 
uh, to see if, if he was going to be on this list because he's somebody that I've seen uh, mentioned in a lot of top five, top ten, as you talked about, type of mock situations. So, yeah, he's going to be going early on day one based on everything that's been put out there so far. Number two, and this is a guy I love. He is the personification of everything, Kirk Ferentz. Uh, Cooper DeJean, cornerback, safety, defensive back. Uh, fits, I mean, returns kicks. He does everything. Uh, this dude, to me, has like Pittsburgh Steeler written all over him. Uh, and it's not just because the colors, of the black and yeah. gold, but just the way that he plays. Uh, he's got that kind of, you know, just defensive you know, he just hits you hard. He just knows, has a nose for the football. And nose for the football. football. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's just a, he's just a, he's the ball player, and he's a super athletic ball player uh, at that. Uh, and he's actually my favorite player on this list overall. But you know, he's not the best one. Um, who is going to be obvious? But Cooper John from Iowa. I just I love watching this kid play. As a matter of fact, they wouldn't have won half the games they won if he wasn't there. And they actually wanted a bit of a little losing streak after he got hurt this year and was out for the rest of the year before they. They figured it out at Iowa. Yeah, I mean, he's a special type of talent. He's a guy who can do pretty much everything, anything um, that you ask him to do and be very effective to exceptionally good at it. So, yeah, he's a lot of fun to watch. You know, for all the knocks on Iowa's defense and all that, they do have really special players, uh, mm-hmm. or not Iowa's offense. They have really special players on defense, and they are so fun to watch defensively, even though the other side of the coin is – like as bad as it gets, it feels like sometimes. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like, what would happen if they had an offense that sc- scored twenty eight? Would, would the defense just flounder? Is that? I mean, would it would it fall off the rails because it? You know what I mean? Like, well, let me the, ask you a question: Do they have an offensive coordinator yet? No, no, they still don't. Paul Christ has been mentioned for that. But that if they would, if like, they would have scored twenty eight points a game, they'd win the national. But like, I get that. Yeah. You know, when you were doing the old. Um, uh, the Art Bryles offense, and you were scoring 60 points a game, is how it felt at least, that, you know, your defense was going to get tired. That's understandable. That's logical. And that's the downside to a lot of those up-tempo offenses, and that's why it had to be tweaked was because you were leaving your defense out there on an island and exhausted. But, like, scoring just some points, would that really change the – the effectiveness and just the incredible ability of that Iowa defense to be as sad as they are. I've wondered about that. Yeah. Because I'm not talking about scoring 50 a game. Just score some points to help them out. You wonder what would happen if they averaged 20 points a game. They probably averaged, what, they, 16? Yeah, do they then give up, like, an extra touchdown per game? Is that what the result of that would be? Because I, I really don't think so. Right, so I mean, it just you're doesn't not, make again, any sense. You're not, you're not going to be – It's not like you're, the defense is out on the field all the time. Because right. if they scored, it would still be 12 plays, 75 yards, taking eight minutes off the That's clock. That's the part yeah. that confuses yeah. the hell out of me. It's yeah. like nobody's asking you to be, like – the Veer and Shoot Kings, you know, yeah. and score 60 per contest, but just something mm-hmm. to help out your your defense would seem to lead you to winning, you know, maybe the couple games that you didn't win, and, yeah. and they're so good without having any help really on that side. That's yeah. just what's really yeah. confused me. Running RPO. Like, there, there's no run or pass option. You run and you pass. Yeah. Like, that's the play. There's two types of plays. There's not a play that could be two things. But I just, I wonder <laughs> that in my head of, like, is there a downside to scoring just a little bit more that I'm missing out here? Because otherwise, it just is very confusing. But, yeah, Cooper DeJean's a great player yeah. amongst many great players on that Iowa team. And number one, Marv. Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver, Ohio State. Um you know, he'll be the first non-quarterback taken in this draft, uh, where whatever, however that, that falls through. Um, 
So, uh, by the way, the Bears interviewed Cliff Kingsbury for their offensive coordinator position today. That, yeah. Whether they hire him or not, I guarantee you they asked him several questions about Caleb Williams. Uh, so, sure. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's that's one of those, you know, kind of convenient draft things you can do uh, right now. But uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State, everybody saw him. Like, he was he was really their offense this year, and he was the – because Abuka, you know, was hurt for a lot of it. Now, he's a really fine receiver himself and will probably be – uh, in this position to be a first-round pick next year because he's coming back. But, um, you know, Kyle McCord might not even get offered to go to Syracuse if not for for Marvin Harrison. I don't know because it was that was the bailout guy, and he was fantastic all year long, and he's one of the best uh, college receivers to come out in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, he's a really special talent. We've kind of been seeing his uh... – his road to the NFL draft now for a couple of years, so not surprised that uh, he's at the top of the list because he's just been kind of pegged for that for a, a while now. Just uh, incredible athlete, talented player, and uh, yeah, somebody's going to get a really good wide receiver. Excited to see what he does on the the next level. But uh, was was fun to watch there for a little while in Columbus. Thank you to all of you. Is that it, Paul? Yeah, uh, great that's it. stuff. Uh, thanks to everybody that's been a part of the chat today, and also the the comments we brought up uh, how it's. For some of you, a, a way to get away from whatever's going on in your life, injury or something else. Dustin Archambo uh, was talking about the Oklahoma State-Alabama game was supposed to be played. I, I don't know when, but it's been removed. I, I don't know if that's recent or not. I've been much too busy to really keep up with a lot of football or sports. 365 is the highlight of my day. Go ahead. You want to say something about that game? Uh, so thank you very much to everybody. Thanks to our great sponsors. Thanks to those of you that are not on the chat, but you are watching or listening to us wherever it might be. And always don't forget the app of 365 Sports here on YouTube and the Sikkim 365 app. Uh, Back again tomorrow, Paul's triple option at 1. We'll be on at 3. And 365 Sports tonight on the local CW tonight at 1030. Thanks to Emery Winter. Thanks to Josh Young and that group as well. Garrett, great stuff again today. Jack McKenzie, Emery Winter. Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, I'm David Smoke. We do appreciate you every single day. Hit the like and subscribe buttons when you can. Good night, 365 Sports. Ideal MRI is a small family business right here in Central Texas. We're open to support you.